now we've just been joined uh, by Wardogo and our uh, friend from the Alpha unit with the SVU, as well as Chuck Fair, who will be uh, taking you forward for the next couple of hours uh, covering uh, Wardogo's fundraiser for providing uh, the Alpha unit with uh, equipment they need, uh, ear, uh, hearing protection, as well as uh, two-way radio buttons and other stuff. And thank you, everyone, for being with us for the last few hours. Axel will be taking it from here with uh, Shaggy, and I'll see you soon. Good night. Thank you, my friend. Very good. Very good to hear everybody, and uh, welcome. Good evening, Shaggy. And uh, welcome to Alexander. Dobry večer. Dobry večer. Uh, no, I hope everybody's Lord, fine. Everybody. We also have we also have our friend Chuck Farah. So we are complete. The special operations panel has gathered, and there's good reasons as to why we did that today. Anton Wardogo, tell us what has happened. What is the new information in uh, Ukraine and from Ukraine about what happened in the past? Uh, I I will translate just. Uh... For uh, <laughs> also understanding this, just, just just to be sure, we all on the same page, okay? Я в перекладу для того, щоб зрозуміти початок. У нас вся команда вже в зборі, хто збирався на сьогоднішній вечір поговорити. Це Чак Фар, котрий є колишнім сіл тім шість сквадрон лідер. І е, сьогодні в нас є е, цікава е, тема для розговору, саме мова йде про захоплення, е, відбуття назад у тих знаменитих вишок Бойка. Uh, we are, there, is, there is something interesting that uh, today uh, the, the, the defense uh, uh, intelligence intelligence service being publishing and that interesting was that in the end of august the uh gas drill stations that in ukraine we call uh boykos uh, power uh they were there was an interesting operation conducted over there by special uh, forces and due to that special operation uh ukrainian uh, Ukrainian uh, intelligence uh, special uh, special force team they captured some interesting Russian equipment and plus they regained the access for those uh, for those uh, uh, drilling station. But Axel, tell me why a those, daring uh... operation, a daring operation, a classic, well planned special operation, an oil and gas platform in between what is Snake Island and essentially Crimea, between um, within a contested area, and uh, freeing a platform which uh, the Russians have used, obviously for military, for scouting, and therefore for, um, say, reconnaissance and electronic warfare purposes. It is an exceptional thing, and it's exactly what uh, my friend and colleague Chuck has been doing all his life. Oil platforms, oil rigs. Chuck, that's right up your alley. Chickity Chuck. Chuck, can you hear us? Uh, that was perfect. That went right into the... Well, there, and I think I'm on now. Just as you guys started, everything crashed here. Gentlemen, thank you so, so much. It's a, it's a privilege to be speaking with you. And uh, Axel, you're absolutely right. Uh, 
taking down an oil platform over the horizon in a non-permissive environment is the absolute pinnacle of naval special operations, special warfare. And I congratulate you, Alexander, uh, for a wonderful mission that we all admire. And it has sent a message that's maybe more delicious because Ukraine didn't acknowledge this operation uh, for a couple of weeks and let Moscow chew on it. <laughs> Anton, I will, I will just, uh, uh, I will just translate in a couple of words that uh, to, to Alex. Mówi ide pro te, що обговорюємо про те, наскільки зухвалою була та операція, наскільки вона цікава з точки зору виконання, і взагалі наскільки наскільки важливо було з точки зору використання росіянами цих вишок бойка з точки зору контролю над акваторією, частиною акваторії Чорного моря і встановлене радіообладнання на цих вишках і радар і все решта. Ну, наскільки це цікава зухвала і дуже незвичайна операція. Про це мова. Я зрозумів вас, так. Насправді це дуже важливо, тому що так би мовити, просто обрали їхню, скажімо так, перевалочну базу, де вони могли, ну, чи контрольну точку, де вони могли розміщати все своє обладнання. І тому, скажімо так, їх відкинули трохи назад, так би сказати, до півострова Крим, і тим самим їм, так би мовити, ну, закрили очі, скажімо, тому вони меншу територію тепер можуть контролювати. І тим самим ми тепер можемо розміщати все обладнання, необхідне для спостереження. Those, uh, those drilling uh, platforms being used by Russians. So a little bit, we, we, we moved a little bit Russians back uh, to Crimea, temporary, uh, temporary to Crimea. Uh, we closed their eyes in some sense because uh, they were using uh, those stations and the equipment that was looted by Ukrainians over there because uh, we got some equipment from there. Uh, and we can we can use those uh, gas uh, drilling stations in order to uh, scale our presence and uh, and to and to scale our control over the area around it. Тим самим це дуже важливо, панучі висота так само як йдуть бої, наприклад, ну, посадки, просіки, от коли поля і панучі висота, ну Дуже, дуже багато можливостей. Ти спостерігаєш за ворогом, тобто бачиш кожен його крок. А в морі така вишка – це надзвичайно дуже важливо. Так само, як і острів Зміїний. Щоб захопити його, тепер уже не буде такої можливості, наприклад, як було 24 ну, февраля. Дякую. Uh, is uh, the uh, leading hate, how to call it, uh, above the surface, because that is why Ukraine is is fighting severely for any uh, kind of uh, advance against the enemy, 
and higher positions give that possibility and on the flat surface of the sea the importance of uh, advanced positions uh, and possibility to observe possibility to put the recon equipment and so far and so and so on it literally becomes a paramount importance and is also important uh, also from the standpoint of defending uh, Snake Island, Zmini Island, uh, it will no longer be that bad surprise uh, Russian approaching Snake Island, same as it was back in February. And I think it showed how important the oil platform was that uh, very soon after uh, you were able to seize it, uh, Russia found it necessary to attack it and uh, with an Su-30, one of their better aircraft. Uh, tell us about that. I mean, it's not just grabbing something, is it? You have to defend it as well, especially something as important and significant as this oil platform. <laughs> Важливим є моментом також те, важливим, важливим елементом, який показує, наскільки вона була важлива для росіян, це той факт, що вони одразу прийшли її атакувати з літаком Су-30, про що каже, про що каже головне управління розвитки і то відео, яке було оприлюднено. Також важливо, наскільки, наскільки, цей, наскільки, ця, наскільки ці платформи були для них важливими. То, звичайно, звісно, ну, дуже важливо. Так же само острів Змійний. Ну, скажімо так, люба точка, та те стратегічна, вони, звичайно, будуть намагатися відбивати. Ну, це таке є. А тут їм, грубо говоря, ну, закрили очі в морі. Так же саме, то, що дивився відеообзори, якби наші Малий по літаку, по ворожому, ну, атаки не припиняються, не на Змійний. Все одно це все будуть, вони намагатися атакувати, бомбувати. Ну, а наші хлопці задача там вистати та втримати це. Тому що це дуже, ну, ускладнить життя росіянам. Yeah, це paramount important because... Uh... Russians immediately start attacking that, and you've probably seen that video that uh, the the, uh, the defense intelligence uh, have released that uh, a part of uh, attacking uh, the, uh, the, uh, the 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 squads that were conducting the mission. There were uh, there, there were also the attacks on the Snake Island on the Mini Island. Uh, that were captured by the video and the team who uh, were conducting a mission on, on these platforms, they, not, they, they saw a lot of explosions on the mini island. So Russians are, yes, Russians are uh, attacking uh, infrastructure, but the Ukrainian team has the, the task to, to, hold, uh, to hold over there. And yes, that is, that is extremely important. We made Russian blind in that area. You know, what's impressive to me is how Ukraine has used asymmetrical means and naval special warfare, naval drones. But in this case, and for the last couple of weeks, their naval special warfare operation, it's projected power into the Black Sea. And with the very limited conventional naval forces that Ukraine actually possesses, I look at raids on Crimea. I see naval drone operations against strategic targets in the Black Sea. And, and now uh, 
taking back because in this case, folks, these oil plant, these production and drilling platforms were actually taken from Ukraine, seized and moved closer to Crimea. And it's just a splendid operation. And uh, Mordogo, and I thank you so much for translating. And I promise you, my Ukrainian will get better. <laughs> but uh, if you could tell uh, Alexander, just uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, how, how this asymmetrical uh, force posture is actually working out for Ukraine. Yeah, um, I was prepared to to be suffering for these technical uh, terminologies being discussed between two special guys. <laughs> and, and, and despite despite you both speaking uh, the language that I didn't know, I, I pretend to say that people understand my English and I a little bit understand Ukrainian, but this language you are trying to speak to each other, I definitely don't recognize, nor, neither English nor I Ukrainian. will take it down a notch, but I thank you so much. Uh, I apologize. You know, Ukrainian is something I need to learn. So, and I appreciate your patience. Thank you, brother. Uh, okay, Wadogo. Still, yeah. asymmetric false posture. How is it working for Ukraine? <laughs> it's Wadogo uh, translation. Thank you. Pytanie w duże ciekawemu i duże duże efektywnemu wykorzystaniu asymetrycznych metodów Ukrainy. Jeśli my podajemy się na wykorzystanie tych wodnych dronów, które nadwodnych nadwodnych aparatów, które Ukraina wykorzystuje dla того, аби вражати російські стратегічні цілі. Дуже цікавий, дуже новий досвід і величезний, величезний інтерес прикутий до такого нестандартного використання, до таких нестандартних рішень. Цікава ваша думка відносно, відносно такого використання і таких операцій? Я вам хочу сказати одне, що на нашій війні зараз вчаться всі країни. І також вони роблять собі висновки. Те наша аудиторія, то що американські колеги, ті навіть слідкують з більшою уважністю, тому що це, скажімо так, і хворог з нами воює, і їм дуже цікаво його пізнати, його тактику, його зброю, озброєння. У нас тут використовують, скажімо так, полігон всієї зброї. Далі я продовжую перекладати. Missions and the the war about Ukraine. That's something that we not always expect from people who are far from Ukraine. Uh, that is that 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 is that is that is that is so so fascinating. Uh, overall, uh, of course, the whole globe is uh, supporting Ukraine, and the whole the, the many countries are learning on Ukrainian experience simply uh, because. Uh, we have the common enemy and that 
uh, and observing how Ukraine is using different type of uh, different type of actions, including the asymmetrical uh, force uh, and 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 meanings. Uh, Ukraine Ukraine uh, also gives uh, some points to uh, for others to uh, to learn our common enemy and uh, the new equipment the Ukraine is getting uh, is being uh, tested in the real life battle environment and uh, many lessons are also learned from that you know можно продолжить на Alex is saying that uh, there is uh, that there is second part of the uh, of the message that you would like to he would oh, like to absolutely please if you can please Дивіться, тому саме ми воюємо проти дуже сильного ворога, і він переважає нас, та мабуть, у всьому. Так як у кількості людей, озброєння, технологіях, тому нам приходиться, скажімо так, видумувати все, що можна, і дрон для них став, водний дрон для них став несподіванкою. Тому що буквально, скажімо так, якщо на початку війни вони могли до Одеси, мабуть, підпливати в притул, то зараз вони бояться. І море, скажімо так, цими дронами, ну, контролюємо їхній Чорноморський флот, ну, він же не такий вже й дуже агресивний, тому що навіть кораблі ті, що мають пускові носії ракет, вони не підходять дуже близько. А тому що і, скажімо так, за час війни повномасштабної у нас дуже народ сплатився, там люди, навіть звичайні тішники, які зараз виготовляють FPV-дрони. Ну, народ дуже став допомагати військ, ну, війську, сплатився, і тому, от, скажімо так, що дуже умні люди, от, вони допомагають прогресувати, особливо в ті технологіях і ну, дрони. Ну, за дронами зараз майбутнє, тому що це збереження життя людей, і ними дуже ефективно нищити ворога. Ну, от якось так. Well, uh, Russia, as you probably know, is not a secret for you. Russia is pretty massive enemy. Uh, we would say strong, but in fact they're massive. They're massive and prevailing us in many, almost, almost all their uh their their components uh comparing to ukraine uh but there is uh there is one thing and that thing is not only a drone but overall a smart approach that ukraine has to uh, uh use uh the uh um the, the 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 smart capabilities and drone became one of the symbols of uh, smart approach and non-standard as you say asymmetrical uh asymmetrical power uh first of all yes like russians were uh feeling themselves pretty uh pretty free in the black in the black sea until they understood that is not that easy with smart Ukrainians and using Ukrainian uh, capabilities and using Ukrainian smart uh, smart approach. Uh, now they are not that feeling themselves unpunished coming closer to, to, this, to the seashore and so far and so on. Uh, they are not that aggressive on the on the seaside with uh, 
with their fleet because they are they understand that they need to keep the distance they don't they don't come close uh, and what is important the nation itself became united even you know the IT guys doing the ACV uh, nation become become much stronger and understanding that this is the survival matter and you know this is the this is very instinctive thing that uh, when you are close to the bottom you apply all the forces possible and we have a lot of smart people that uh, help Ukraine progressing very fast and those drones uh, they help a lot to save people lives we don't have that many people that's why we need to use technology smart we cannot stand against such an, a massive enemy in the same manner as they do we need to say we need to uh, we need to we need to use the technologies one of the things uh, I, I was very impressed about Alexander and I have been uh, on the expanding capabilities of Ukraine's special forces. And I can see in the successful operations uh, that Ukraine has been, been taken to the level of the top players in the special operations game. Uh, and I can say that by the mission sets that I see, that they are absolutely at the same table as SEAL Team 6, as the Navy's other SEAL teams, the SAS, the Special Boat Service. And I wonder, without going so much into specifics, if he can, he can talk about uh, how, the, how the training cycle has been for him. And as we say, the proof is in the pudding. I can tell by what they're doing and what they're succeeding at that they, they are at the very highest level of their operational capabilities. And my hat is off to them. Перш за все, то, яким чином українські сили спеціальних операцій, українська розвідка, українські сили, українські спеціальні сили проводять свої операції, це насправді вражає. І Чак є одним з тих, хто насправді є такий вираз, знімає шляпу перед тими, то роблять ці операції на високому рівні. Це справді дуже порівняно згідно рівня з інших сил спеціальних операцій, чи то САС, чи то спеціальні корабельні сили, чи інші сили спеціальних операцій, або в Navy SEAL Team 6 це команда спеціальних операцій Штатів. Насправді дуже вражений можливостями, можливостями сил спеціальних операцій масштабувати, розширюватись, а також залучати найкращих до своїх, до своїх команд і підтримувати високий рівень можливостей і кваліфікації, навіть попри те, що команди дуже сильно розширюються. Яким чином вдається справді тримати такий високий рівень, що такого в тренуваннях, мабуть, там без особливих деталей, але що такого в тренуваннях, що дозволяє насправді тримати такий високий рівень, навіть через, попри, попри таке розширення і велику кількість нових людей? Я вам скажу одне, що, знаєте, більше, я, певно, є мотивація тим, що 
ми все вдома, нам нікуди йти. І тому ми повинні любою ціною, скажімо так, здобувати перемогу і вбивати ворога. Але я вам скажу чесно, ті, що в далі операції, перед цим це може бути зазвичай багато життів наших хлопців. Тому що не все одразу виходить, якби на цих, скажімо так, ну, на своїх помилках вчимося. А помилки в нас починаються з 2014 року, коли ми допустили, скажімо, це вторгнення і не зреагували, ну, напевно, що швидше, щоб, скажімо так, ця пухлива, ну, опухоль ракова, скажімо так, от, не розрослась на всю країну. Тому, якби, вчимося тільки на своїх помилках, тому що раніше ми ніде не приймали участі в бойових діях. Ну і на оцих от помилках, скажімо так, чимося, тренуємося. Тільки тренування. Так що якось так. Well, uh, in fact, uh, the main thing that you probably already noticed in Ukrainians and that is also valid for the special forces is the motivation. Uh, because we are at home, is our land, we have nowhere to go and we defend our land with every price possible we need to win because there is no alternative for us ukraine must win as we say uh in fact the operations that you see conducted uh like on the videos and you see many successful operations uh no it costs a lot in efforts and unfortunately in lives and these learnings the lessons that we do uh, on the way uh, we uh, we are learning uh, we, 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 we are learning since 2014 where the, actually the war started and you know as Ukraine at uh, being the heritage of uh, the previous Soviet Soviet Union, uh we were not that integrated in the world society we didn't have really that experience to learn from the others and unfortunately uh when the when the enemy came to our land we let this cancer spreading in our uh territory faster than we wanted because we were still learning the lessons and many of the lessons we learned learned because of many mistakes on the way and the price is terrible and that is why uh, we have uh, to use all the technologies to save our people and that is why we are still learning so training is the best uh, the best uh, the best key the most uh, effective key in order to be successful my friend chuck once wrote in one of his books that training and mistakes in training would be punished in the same fashion, if not outright harder than in an operation, because they matter a great deal more. Because if you fail in training, you will not perform when it matters. I like that a lot. And Chuck, this operation with these rigs, which have been moved in order to capitalize on and, and steal from Ukraine, This is a tremendously challenging thing. This evening, Defense of Ukraine even put out a video of this. 
which I can only highly recommend to everyone. Uh, just put it in the nest. For those who have time later or want to watch it in parallel on the second screen, it is downright epic. It showcases with what kind of pre-planning and um, operational skill people went to work. But this is not a small operation. Maybe question for Alexander. How not everybody in our audience understands how you plan for this, how many people are in it. Can you give a bit of color as to how Alpha and the other special operators of Ukraine would uh, plan for this and how many people you would need for an operation like that? Because I'm quite sure Chuck has a view on it, but I would like to see what our Ukrainian friends have done. First of all, підтримуючи те, що тренування дуже важливі у пана Чака, навіть є книжка, і в цій книжці він свого часу писав, що помилки та тренування є два найважливіших чинники розвитку. Якщо ти робиш помилки на тренуваннях, ти ростеш. Якщо ти робиш помилки в операціях, на жаль, Такі помилки не завжди проходять, не завжди проходять гладко. З огляду на ту операцію, яку сьогодні ГУР опублікувала стосовно захоплення тих вишок, вишок Бойка, знаючи, знаючи, як це планували би в спецпідрозділах західних країн світу, яка ваша оцінка стосовно як така місія планувалась би, наприклад, от скільки людей ви би, наприклад, взяли е, на таку місію, аби вона була, вона була успішною Ось щодо планування таких місій, розкажіть, на вашу думку, з того, що можна розказати. Ну, дивіться, я... ми не приймали участь, по-перше, в цій спецоперації. Розумієте, то, що сказали от западні, ну, допустим, скажімо, от наші співрозмовники, які брали участь. Я можу одне сказати. Вони, першу чергу, взяли під контроль би небо. Ось якби все. Це те, що от перекладіть їм. От якщо б вони взяли повітря, тоді б вони б пішли далі б закріплятися. Оце, будь ласка, їм приведіть. А далі я... 100%. Їм Uh, I was not on that mission that, that, that is first to mention. Uh, on the other hand, uh, comparing to how Ukraine's been conducting that operation and how our uh, friends, foreign friends, would be conducting that operation, and that is the significant difference that everything starts from that, you would prob- probably control the airspace first. We don't have this privilege and we have to plan it in according way. We were not controlling the airspace over there. And that's the significant start. Uh, on that, I can also put a second point. Скажемо, в цій групі, які заходили безпосередньо на цю вишку. Тому що ну, тільки так можна дати оцінку і хоч якось почати щось планувати. Якщо, наприклад, ну, 
Людина, яка служила, то вона знає, що це буде декілька підгруп. Групи евакуації, прикриття тощо. А так взагалі це ну, неможливо дати. Алло, чути? Okay. Так, 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 дуже добре чую. Uh, Uh, first, yeah, 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 them, uh, first of all, uh, in order to give you uh, the view how this mission would be planning, the first, the second thing we're missing, first one is uh, is uh, having the control over the airspace. Second, we probably are lacking the whole scope of the information that those team uh, were having in their hands uh for planning that mission. Trying to guess what they had would really not work. Uh, from your specific of planning such missions, you, you probably understand that it should be several subgroups uh, that would be conducting an operation and the covering uh, covering subgroups that who, uh, who would guarantee such mission uh, success in whatever happens, but just to make the assumption of how that should be planned without having all the information that they were having for planning this mission. We, we can only assume that they knew everything what they were doing and therefore we at, at this stage, most probably having all the information that they had, we would come uh, to the similar uh, to the similar execution that, that they did, most probably. Yeah, it was, uh, it, there always is, uh, you can never have too much information on your target it's always very hard to get but it i think that's something i'd like to remind our listeners about that without air superiority your entire uh infiltration of the target area your insertion your actions at the objective without air superiority you are so incredibly vulnerable and that is a huge obstacle that that these guys were operating under and the Russians were very quick to, to reassert their air dominance uh, by attacking the rigs. Once they realized that they were, you know, that they had been uh, recaptured. So, and, and that's, and that's something I'd like to express to Alexander that I, I, I know very keenly Uh, you know, as an operator myself, I, I know some of the fundamental things that, that Ukraine has to go without. And it's just, you know, it's infuriating. And Axel and I talk about this all the time. The things that should be made available to Ukraine need to be given to them as soon as possible. Uh, but there is, there is one thing that's on display here, folks, and that is the absolute audacity the courage and the technical skill it took to take out this target, these targets, because of all the targets that any Naval Special Warfare operator can face, this is the one that requires every skill that uh, a SEAL operator must possess. And we'll get into these a little later, but I just wanted to tell Alexander that. The short, ver the short version of War Doggo, because I just am sort of, doing a little color, color commentary in English there. Of course. Thanks. Перш за все, завжди забагато інформації не буває, і ви дуже праві з тим, що не можна робити якесь 
стратегічне або планування таких речей без достатньої інформації, як колишній оператор спеціальної групи. Я точно погоджуюся з вами, що найбільше чого не вистачає, це панування їх в повітрі. Це штука, яка насправді дуже бісить відсутність в Україні засобів для панування в повітрі. Ми на нашому Twitter Space і слухачі цього Twitter Space кожен з міру своїх можливостей завжди адвокує необхідність наявності в Україні всіх інструментів та засобів, котрі, котрі, котрі дозволять проводити такі операції з пануванням в повітрі. Тому що без панування в повітрі, насправді, це, це, дуже, це дуже вразлива операція, котра, на жаль, має компенсуватися з витягою коробрістю і мотивацією бійців, котрі роблять вражаючі речі, але має бути правильний інструмент підходу до таких речей. Перш за все, як ви правильно сказали, це панування в повітрі і неможливість ворогам завдавати шкоду через, через, через відсутність цього компоненту. Олександр? Так, 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 я тут. Слухаю. Okay, so let's let's carry on. Uh, yeah, Alex, we carry on carry on the discussion. No worries. I, we have tons of questions, and Chuck and I have a couple of things prepared. But in the meantime, there's a hand up. Our friend Ming uh, has joined us. Ming, you have a question for Alex or for Chuck or for both? Uh, yeah, thank, thanks very much, Axel. Yeah. So I've got a question uh, regarding a topic that sort of been. Uh, somewhat frustrating us over the last couple of days, uh, which is specifically this story about uh, Elon Musk and Starlink. And apparently, uh, according to Elon Musk, he didn't switch Starlink off. He just didn't extend it as far as Crimea. And the problem I have with that story is that I find it really hard to believe that the Ukrainians would launch a seaborne drone strike on the Crimean fleet uh, without knowing whether Starlink was on or off. And I kind of, uh, for, for the region they were attacking, and I kind of, because you know, if, if you recall, the first time we ever saw a picture of those seaborne drones There was one washed up on the beach. And I'm assuming that that's one of the drones we saw from this failed attack. So I just wanted to get a, a Ukrainian perspective on this issue. You know, what, what I, I understand you probably can't tell us anything. I also understand that it's maybe not in your best interest to be critical of Elon, but anything you could tell us would be very much appreciated. І а, інформації коли так, так, я зрозумів, зрозумів. А, добре, добре. Дивіться, я вам скажу те, що вчора, може сьогодні, дивився в соцсетях, сьогодні побачив, ну, дивився відео генерал-лейтенанта Буданова, то він сказав, якби, ну, якщо це на, на, на вищому рівні прозвучало, вся передня лінія зараз працює на Старлінках. То, що було в Криму, були якісь там ще певні обставини який він не може розголошувати. Тобто питання такого рівня, ну, 
Як звичайні бійці, там, ну, це неможливо. Ми на них не знаємо відповідь. Це знають тільки там вище керівництво, насправді тільки спілкуються, може безпосередньо з Олоном Маском. Ну, на це й не готові відповісти. Ті, що слова Буданова, були якісь певні обставини, так що щось там не виходило. Наші питались другим шляхом, скажімо так, це зробити. Ну, кінцевий результат, все вдалося. А так на Старлінках працює вся передня лінія, так, як сказав генерал Литенат Буданов. Mm-hmm. So, uh, actually, the the feedback to such question would be uh, based mainly on the official statements from uh, the the defense intelligence uh, had uh, Mr. Budanov, and that feedback says the following: that the the whole Ukrainian front line communication. Yes, supported by the Starlings. Starlings' importance is paramount uh, for Ukraine uh, being effective in communication and what 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 Ukraine is capable to do. Uh, the story with naval drones and with all switching on, switching off. Uh, Mr. Budanov didn't uh, didn't communicate that to full extent he said that there was a kind of the uh, incident he was not into the super details of that he said that the only thing he could reveal was uh, that there was some problem but they used the other way around and so far it works he said and like if Mr. Budanov is if intelligence says so the one who is the most informed unfortunately I'm not sure that I would be capable to say much more yeah I'd, I'd also like to point out folks that it's uh, you know as an operator as a as a officer as a profession professional man or woman in the service of your country and the armed forces we're, we're not really at liberty Uh, anybody, I say that during my own service and uh, for any any person serving, uh, you know, political questions are not, you know, they're not they're not the kind of things you are you ask serving uh, serving men and women. You it's one one of the things you sacrifice when you go into the armed service of your country. Uh, it's something we learn. Every Western armed force learns within the first 10 hours of you being there that you don't have any political opinions anymore. You know, you, uh, that's what you, that's one of the things you donate to your country is, uh, you put your politics aside for a while, but, uh, I will say, because I am uh, a civilian now, uh, Ukraine needs everything folks. It, it needs everything that we, we can give it. And although Alexander cannot say this, I, I, I will give, give my spleen a little vent here. Uh, there is a new thing in this world, and that is the super-empowered individual. And those are people like Mr. Musk and Mr. Bezos and some other clowns I won't mention. And they, uh, by dint of their luck... Uh, by dint of early adoption and monopolization of, of certain aspects of our, of our technology, uh, they put themselves above their own countries, above the nations of the world, and certainly above you and I. Uh, 
what they can do to us is none of our business, right? They're just, they're just going to do it. And if someone like Mr. Musk thinks that it, it's, it's better for him to make the decisions of what gets done uh, to Ukraine as it's fighting for its life in, in the course of a war of imperial aggression, and if somehow Mr. Musk thinks he knows better than all of you and all of the heads of states, all of the diplomats and everything else, not ever having served one day in his life in the service of anything but himself, not his country, not the country that has given him refuge and wealth and privilege beyond wildest belief, the United States of America. He's done nothing for anybody except himself. And he made a decision that Ukraine, it didn't need to punch back while it was being raped. It just didn't need to do that. So, Alexander, I gave vent. I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I want you to know how, how much that has offended me uh, and everyone else, I think, listening, that there are people in this world that think they can do that. But anyway, I'd like to, I'd like to move, uh, I'd like to shift this into something that we can do something about. We can't do anything uh, about Bezos, but we can do something about, Alexander, please tell us what you need, what your guys need, and what we can do to help you right now. Uh, є люди, це його особиста, особиста думка, що є люди, котрі ставлять себе більше, ніж вищими за держави і роблять речі, котрі іноді не варто робити, але, на жаль, ми не маємо впливу на те, щоб це змінити, тому і особливо коментувати це також. Багато людей це, 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 це злить, на жаль. Але ми змінити це не можемо. Давайте сфокусуємося на тому, що ми можемо змінити. Ми, оскільки ми робимо збір коштів для вашого підрозділу на рушники та, та кнопки, розкажіть, будь ласка, чим Мрія Ріпорт може допомогти і в чому у вас є потреба. Ну, мова йде про те, щоб у словах розповісти більше про цю необхідність. Я вас зрозумів. Дивіться, якщо чесно, ну, дуже незручно, так би мовити, робити ці збори, тому що, ну, як то кажуть, це нас повинна держава цим забезпечувати. Але для чого нам потрібні наушники? Перш за все, гарні, якісні наушники, то це береже наш слух. А особливо, коли йдуть наушники з мікрофоном, це дуже зручно. Перш за все, це ну, дуже нам виграє час, коли бувають стички з ворогом. Це просто дуже необхідно. Прикладіть, будь ласка. Перш за все, я маю сказати, що ми дуже щасливі, що допомагає з Uh, asking for any fundraisers for us because we perfectly understand that all of the things that we are asking uh, to help us, it should be available and should be uh, granted by our country, but it's our trouble that we don't have it. And that is why we are super happy that you came to help 
that that means a lot for us. If we are speaking about the equipments of the fundraiser that you're you're doing for us for the uh, for the hearing protection and for the push to talk buttons, uh, is important because uh, because the hearing protection uh, it literally protects the hearing, and on the other hand, this is the uh, this is the equipment that allows uh, to uh, to communicate better because we not only hear each other in the headphones, but we also communicate with microphone and uh, it allows us to be more capable and fast in decision making, especially when there are the uh, the contacts with an enemy and fast reaction seconds saves uh, lives. So part of seconds are even important and better communicating means better, uh, better capable. Yeah, it's one of the one of the principal things on the battlefield, folks. And I say this a lot: you have to know how to shoot, move, and communicate. And uh, one of the one of the one of the key pillars there is communication, and being able to timely to get the information in a timely manner. And one of the things that uh, Alexander, I know that he will need. Uh, there are earphones that you can uh, uh, clip to your fast helmet, which are the sort of shorter helmets you see special operators wearing now. Uh, and you are able to plug these into your communications gear. And they have a, a dual function now, the modern ones. They will uh, use noise cancellation to cancel out some of the larger noises that come in. And that is gunfire uh, explosions, uh, helicopter rotors, tank engines, those sorts of things. So it minimizes that noise and it allows you uh, to hear your radio traffic in your ear, which is often so difficult, folks, you, you, you can't imagine. In the olden days, in my day, when I first got in, we actually had bone conduction things. You would, you would tape this thing to your temple and it would vibrate your skull so you could hear uh, these, you know, so you could get your commands on time. Alexander, what are, what are some of the other things that, uh, that you are in need of? Because uh, we want to get you as, as much as we can, friend, and, as, and get it to you as fast as we can. auditory. Uh, для чого захист слуху потрібний в сенсі не тільки аби закривати, захищати слух, а і ще захищати слух від саме тих небажаних гучних звуків пострілів і всього решта, що глушиться на кілька секунд. Мені вам розповідати, як працюють, працюють з активні наушники. Так, 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 я просто розкажу, що пан Чак розповідав аудиторії, як так. це працює. Питання, що ще, окрім наушників, вам дуже потрібно. Ось, FPV. якщо ви скажете, ми, якщо ви скажете... Я вам скажу ми... відверто. FPV. <laughs> FPV дрони. Це те, що майбутнє та береже життя наших хлопців. Це найнеобхідніше із того, що ну, от на даний час потрібно. Тому що дрони і... проводять розвідку, дають нам змогу вчасно, скажімо так, засікти ворога, який підкрадається до позиції, виявити його. 
Також це може бути, наприклад, як недавно, нещодавно наша робота заздалегідь час не, так би сказати, виявлення розрахунку мінометного та його ураження, скажімо так. Ну, тобто дрони – це, це той, те, що береже наше життя і допомагає нам зачасно виявити ворога. І в піві це також на більш дальніх дистанціях достать ворога. Ну, тому що у Росії тут правду в лаза дуже сильно рад. Тому дрони дуже часто пропадають. Так. Добре, дякую. Якщо казати про FPV як про розхідники, бо вони насправді такими і є, якщо брати потижнево, які ваші потреби в FPV, без розкриття якихось важливих деталей, котрі можуть бути корисні для ворога, але для того, щоб розуміти потреби. Я розумію, скажіть, це буде можливість допомоги, ну, допомога на збор в FPV, так чи ні? Якщо так, я зараз кличу компетентну людину в цьому, яка безпосередньо займається цим FPV. If you really can help on FPV, I will just pass my phone to a person who will, who will... Uh, who will give us the full scale of the things we might need in FPV if, if you think you're capable to help. Well, tell us what you need and we will tell you how we can sort it. Скажіть нам, що вам потрібно, і ми скажемо вам, наскільки ми вам можемо цим допомогти. Окей, зараз, одну секунду, почекайте, я покличу компетентну людину. Звісно, звісно, не переживайте, не переживайте. Я, Алекс сказав, let me grab a person who is from that from our unit and he will give you uh, he will give you the info on what could be our needs if you could help on that couple of seconds and i'm back excellent and and folks there is uh there are links up if you are if you are listening in we put some uh at maria and give them a click and let's see what they what they need back back to you doggo you get us on there bud Hello, everyone. 
Ви можете або українською, або англійською. Я українською перекладу. Давайте українською. Слухачі розуміють. Було питання до колеги відносно, якби слухачі змогли допомогти з FPV-дронами. Які потреби в FPV-дронах, наприклад, якщо брати там, наприклад, розуміючи, що вони є розхідниками, без оголошення якихось дуже важливих деталей, котрі могли б бути корисні ворогу, але аби зрозуміти ваші потреби і зрозуміти, чим ви могли допомогти стосовно FPV-дронів? Ну, на рахунок розголошення ворогу ми нічого такого нового не скажемо. В принципі, Зараз цей напрямок працює плюс-мінус за однією схемою. Дещо відрізняються – це самі способи підриву дронів, ініціація. Тому, якби, в принципі, нічого ми такого якби, секретного не скажемо. Ні, мова, мова йде про кількість. Якщо ви можете сказати, скільки вам потрібно, чим ми можемо допомогти. Тут кількість, я вам скажу, така, що за день можна використовувати 10-15 дронів в залежності від напрямку інтенсивності ведення бойових дій. Тому тут кількість може бути 100-200 штук, якби це... In one day, uh, depending on the operations, you may use uh, 10 to 15 drones, and it means, and it means like uh, one... Uh, the, the requirement could be 100-200 of FPV drones. Can you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the quality and uh, capabilities and the speed of the FPV drones and um, what generally is required so people have a better in, um, say, picture? Аби краще сформувати потребу, скажіть, будь ласка, який тип цих FPV вам був би потрібен з точки зору швидкісних характеристик, можливостей там підйому, навантажень і всього решта, тобто про які FPV мова йде, щоб ми розуміли, що саме. Ще раз, будь ласка, початкове питання. Мова йде, які саме потрібні дрони, мова йде не про модель фірму, а мова йде про якої швидкості вона має бути, які мають бути характеристики. Дивіться, по швидкості вони там більш-менш всі однакові. Потрібні дрони розміром 7 дюймів, дрони розміром 8 та 10 дюймів. Тобто це дюйми, це розмір гвинтів та платформи, і ці дрони можуть нести різну вагу. Але це більш вже потрібно узгоджувати з виробником, тому що там дуже багато тонкощів на рахунок гвинтів, плат і все тому подібне. Тобто це такий конструктор, розумієте, який збирається безпосередньо під пілотів, під їх ретранслятор і все тому подібне. Тобто там дуже багато тонкощів. Тобто, якщо вони домовляються з виробником на рахунок поставки виробництва дронів, тобто потім можна просто згоджувати вже всі більш деталі. І виробник в будь-якому випадку буде це робити. Тому що є різні частоти, на яких він літає, різні частоти відеосигналу, різні частоти управління. Тому все буде в будь-якому випадку згоджуватись. Окей. 
Дуже дякую. If just in several simple characteristics we actually need seven inch, eight inch and ten inch drones. Those are the those are the propeller sizes and the frame sizes. All the rest is determined by the by the size of the drone because because from its size it actually drives the the carrying weight capability. All the rest of the technical details, they are a little bit, they might be a little bit more overloading now information that uh, would be probably agreed uh, if uh, you are able to uh, able to help with uh, with the FPVs. Uh, those, uh, those guys uh, would actually agree on the frequencies to be used and so far and so on, because now for this preliminary information, it is it's a little bit too much just to uh, not to overload and it would not be helpful. So we are speaking about seven, eight and 10 inch drone size. All right. I wish I could have one of our colleagues who's flying into this uh, already joining us to give me a few minutes, but Chuck, please carry on. I'll try to get one of our chaps who is a drone aficionado to join. Yeah, yeah, folks. One of the one of the things we'll do uh, here, and uh, as we as we will eventually uh, wrap it up with the with our front line sources, uh, I'll I'll take you through uh, some of the steps necessary uh, to take down an o offshore oil platform and uh, tell your friends because what we'll do uh, during that period is we are going to uh, make a pitch for let's go have a little. Dronathon uh, for Alexander's unit, and uh, let's see what we can we can get them. One of the things to take away from our discussion so so far is that drones are are a consumable for them, right? They are an offensive weapon. Uh, they are even if they are uh, operating as a reconnaissance tool, they are going into a what you could benignly call a non-permissive environment. Right. So these are things that Russia is, of course, trying to destroy, divert, uh, you know, uh, discombobulate. And these are really uh, these are something that uh, this unit needs desperately. Dogo, I wonder if you could you could uh, we will we are definitely going to going to get as many of, of these things as quickly as we can to them. Um, what what are some other other things that would would help facilitate, uh, you know, make their job a little easier? Uh, understanding the drone pilots as well. What 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 other things can we can we help them with? Anton, did you hear us? I hear you perfectly. I was just speaking with to the muted mic. Uh, Tim Chasson. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Тим часом Олександре, поки пан Чак розповідав про про взагалі як використовуються дрони нашим іноземним слухачам і друзям 
в загальних рисах він розповідав, це такі речі, котрі ну, вам точно не потрібно розповідати, але це для загального розуміння слухачам. Що ще, крім тих речей, на котрі ми вже проводимо збір, окрім FPV-дронів, що би вам дозволило робити вашу роботу краще і ефективніше, і в якомусь сенсі трохи легше? Ви зараз на м'юті, Олександре. У мене зараз чути? А, так, зараз чути. Зараз. Да, на, це, на це питання я зможу відповісти, відповісти більш детальніше та повноцінно, коли зможу зібрати повністю свою команду і узгодити загальні потреби та розставити пріоритети на них. Після цього ми зможемо якби, виставити свої побажання та прохання на рахунок цих потреб. І щоб зараз не, це, не висловлювати з пам'яті, та щоб це не виглядало якось неповноцінно, не тому це ми зможемо, якщо зробити, на наступний ефір. If you agree, because now telling you what else we might need, because FPVs and the things that we are we are we are we are raising funds is the is it would be one of the main priorities. If you if if I would uh, give you the other requirements, it means I would probably have to have to gather uh, our our unit, our team, and just ask them what else uh, they might be missing apart of those top important things because if I invent now it would be rather more inventing I better be fast based and if you want we can we can we can make <laughs> such a list of requirements that we can we can we can come back to the next uh, our our discussion if you want yes and 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 please tell him this this is an ongoing relationship and he doesn't have to ask Santa Claus just once So well, as, as his needs arise, um, they can let us know. Uh, so there's, you know, we, we will, uh, we're going to do everything we can to help. That's exactly it. This does not stop. This is not uh, one off. I will, I will, I will also translate in a couple of words. Мови йде про те, що ви можете бути певними, що ми спробуємо допомогти всім, чим ми можемо допомогти. Ми насправді велика ком'юніті, і е, кожен е, може спробувати допомогти, е, чим зможе. І ви точно, що ви точно можете розраховувати, що наше е, співробітництво і допомога може бути, е, може бути довгою в часі, і це на що ви прийшли, попросили, ми дали, і обидва забули про це. Ви можете розраховувати на наші взаємини на довгій е, основі, е, і ви можете запитувати, що вам може бути потрібно, і ми, спробуємо, ми завжди будемо пробувати вам допомогти, якщо така потреба у вас буде. Для того, щоб говорити, треба е, знімати е, мют мікрофону. Всі ми розуміємо, що е, техніка, обладнання, спорядження не стоїть на місці, все спорядження все полегшується, стає більш захищеним за своїми властивостями, так, 
ті ж снайперські комплекси да, та обладнання до нього, далекоміри, труби, все це удосконалюється і воно якби, дає більш ефективно, більш ефективно виконувати роботу і робити це простіше та, як сказати, більш активно. Is my internet or we no no uh, was it's, um, for a second? His mic went off. Um, okay. So we, uh, we just uh, yeah. and, like, uh, yeah. we just played it. Yeah. And like, take it on the weapon. Because we just on the те, що обладнання стає новим і більш вдосконаленим. Мова, мова йшла про те, що, що, в принципі, друзі з Мрія Репорт і пан Аксель, і Чак, і всі слухачі казали про те, що якщо окрім тих речей, котрі ви вже... Так, да, да, я зрозумів, я це, я це, ми це ж довгострокову Довгострокову відносно, називаємо це так. Так, да, да, ми почули. Я просто е, хотів якби, передати те, що е, ми не скажемо, що ми е, якби, взагалі е, не оснащені якимось е, спорядженням та е, технікою, обладнанням. Тобто в нас якби, е, ми максимально в цьому розвиваємось, максимально стараємось е, рухатись часом і брати на озброєння нові і якісні, е, якісне обладнання. Ось, але я кажу, що час не стоїть на місці і е, потрібно оновлювати постійно спорядження, яке стає більш е, легшим та захищеним, і також е, все обладнання, яке стає більш ефективнішим для виконання робіт. Ті ж снайперські комплекси, обладнання до них, телекоміри, метеостанції, труби, все це рухається з часом, використовують фотоапарати на тренохі, на пульті дистанційного керування, не потрібно виход, ну, наблюдати з, від ока, можна поставити обладнання перед собою і, постій, і якби з укриття спостерігати все те, що можна було робити раніше тільки безпосередньо від себе, від, якби, від першого обличчя. Тому так само зараз FPV раніше користувалися тільки дронами, влітали в розвідку, то зараз можемо якби... А, на дронах робили скиди, скидували різні, різні вибухівки, то зараз можна вже безпосередньо цими дронами робити да, ударні... Давайте ударну силу, тому да. перекладу, тому що буде дуже важко потім. Дякую. 
uh, team members are coming and that is the source of the of some requests that you are that you are doing uh, and of course that uh, the equipment is uh, being modernized uh, many different items many different technologies are being applied so that the drones that we, we we discussed and many other things they are getting more modern and we are trying also to stay modern up to that because that is an advantage to an enemy so we are super glad that our relation could be could be uh, long last and uh, when we might have any specific requirements uh, we may count on the community's help that is that that is super thank you so much мене питання скільки ви з Олександром матимете часу для того щоб розуміти скільки і наскільки ми обмежені по часу ну зараз мікрофон виключений так, так. Скільки у вас є часу? Наскільки ми обмежені по часу? Давайте ще хвилин 15-20 і будемо завершувати. То у нас ще брифінг буде. Окей, okay, супер. Дякую. We have 15-20 minutes uh, still and we will be moving for, for planning mission. Great. We don't want to. We don't want to keep them uh, up too late. Uh, really, really thankful uh, for the time they can they can spend uh, with us. Uh, I know they've got other things to do. <laughs> so I I didn't I didn't get. Uh, of course, my Ukrainian is uh, beyond terrible. I I did hear the word sniper a couple of times. Is there is there. Uh, Is there some equipment uh, related to marksmanship or long-range shooting that might also be helpful? Uh, we were, we were uh, as part of the uh, equipment, modern equipment, different technologies. Yes, they were saying that uh, the, the equipment for sniping uh, becomes more lightweight and more technological. They've, uh, they've been ex- explaining that, for instance, uh, using the tripods, different stands, different, different, uh, different equipment that sometimes is not even designed for that purpose like for instance the photographic equipment is being used for different uh, several things and this part of the technologies advancement and new technologies arriving so that that being discussed in 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 that manner якщо є питання по снайпінгу можуть задавати напряму я снайпер тому можу відповісти на всі питання if you have If you have any questions related to sniping, I'm actually a sniper, so you can uh, you can ask the questions. If I if I know something, I can I, I can Great. There there was a uh, a workaround that we found uh, good in in the seals, and this is a little technical, but I'll try to make it very simple. We used to. Uh, make sure that we had an infrared laser that was zeroed to our rifle. And we found that uh, in long, in mid range, long shooting at night, uh, just knowing that we had the, uh, the laser zeroed to the rifle, we could observe on our, on our night vision devices and determine a target and, and simply hit it by putting the laser on it 
would would infrared lasers be uh, helpful in their in their mission? Питання наступне. Одну досить практичну штуку в своїй діяльності використовували це на марквинських гвинтівках інфрачервоні лазери. Чи використовуєте інфрачервоні ціли вказівники, котрі пристріляні на цих гвинтівках під окремі дистанції і на деяких невеликих дистанціях навіть не обов'язково дивитися, дивитися бачити, бачити ціль, а можна використовувати цей інфрачервоний лазер, чи використовувати їх? Зрозумів питання. Використовуємо тільки на гвинтівках Марксмена, який здійснює прикриття свого першого номера з калібром 308 і більше. Використовуємо гвинтівки Марксмена в основному на калібрі 2.2.3 з довгим стволом і... Там встановлені інфрачервоні, але вони встановлені для тих цілей, щоб можна було цю гвинтівку використовувати для ближнього бою в випадку зміни бойової обстановки. Тобто ці, ці інфрачервоні лазери стоять на 223-му, так? Так, і вони встановлені для роботи на близьких дистанціях до 100 метрів максимум. Окей, дякую. Тобто вони не використовуються для снайпінгу. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they are not used for, for sniping, uh, because for, uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the sniping, for, for sniping we are using the, cal- the rifles uh, calibered in 308 and the bigger calibers, uh, then uh, what relates to those infrared lasers, they are used more for close combats and mainly for the uh, power groups that are usually equipped equip, equip with, uh, uh, with 5.56 or uh, 2.3 uh, Remington. Uh, so we are not using them on the marksman rifles, but we are using them for those who could, uh, who are on the, on, who are the Uh, who the, the cover units uh, in order to uh, and on on and on cover six so that's the main that's the main point absolutely it's a uh, we 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 would do the same uh in seven я переб'ю, вибачаюсь так вони ще можуть ми можемо їх використовувати для підсвітки Якщо ми використовуємо гвинтівку з нічним прицілом, ми використовуємо це лазер невидимого спектру для підсвітки цілі першому номеру. Uh, we may be using uh, those uh, infrared lasers also to highlight a certain, uh, a certain things uh, for the, the number one in the group. So practically those are used in, 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 in that way part of the uh, close uh, close combat uh, or co- or the covering uh, covering groups so that is that is how it can be used as well right would uh, would some thermal rifle scopes be useful uh 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 hello 
Sorry, can I speak? Uh, Ralph, please wait. We are currently in discussion still. Питання, чи теплоприціли також є корисними в вашій роботі? На жаль, зараз зараз я не чую. Axel, is only me not hearing uh, Alex? I can uh, hear you more uh, I think it's just uh, the fact that he has had um, microphone issues before. So let's give it a, mm. uh, give it a check. Здається, у вас було щось зі звуком. Зараз спробуйте ще раз. Треба в нижньому лівому кутку зняти так. Так, зараз на зв'язку? Так, так. У нас Starlink пропадає трохи. Питання було по тепловізійних прицілах. Чи корисні ваші справи? Зрозумів. По попередньому питанню ще хотів додати, можливо, питання було більш обширне, та інфрачервоний лазер у нас використовують штурмові групи, в кожного бійця на, на карабіні для ближнього бою, тобто на 2-2-3 в кожного встановлений інфрачервоний, і так як наша специфіка більш заключається в роботі в міських умовах, то там це все використовується. Будете перекладати чи далі продовжувати? Так, 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 я зараз перекладу mm-hmm. слова. Uh, so actually, uh, the infrared laser that you've been asking before uh, is mainly uh, the uh, mainly the assault groups uh, that have that on on their uh, on their carbines, uh, rifles and is is just a backup for for the groups uh, that as i earlier mentioned that is for for the groups they usually do the cover usually on two to three and what relates to the to the thermal sites на рахунок тепловізійних прицілів, так, актуально, користуємось цим, дуже часто працюємо вночі, навіть буваючи, не знімаючи приціл, з ночі переходимо в день і працюємо з ним також в день. Ну, все залежить від місцевості і самої Походи, наскільки тепло для того, щоб можна було розрізнювати ціль від, місцевих, від місцевості. Сам особисто використовую і майже його не знімаю, тобто працюю з ним якби 24 на 7. So, actually, thermal sites are being used 24-7, personally by me, and... Uh... They are very useful. It depends, of course, on the type of the terrain, type of the weather. Uh, if you can see a thermal image uh, of uh, of a target, and uh, overall, they are very useful and can be that uh, you use it during the day and during the night, and they are always and may they may be uh, always present on the rifle, even not only during the night operations. Oopie, I'm having a little microphone uh, problem here as well. Uh, it was interesting. Uh, it mentioned uh, photographic 
equipment, tripods, etc., cetera, uh, being uh, also useful for marksmanship. Uh, do they need bipods uh, for rifles, any uh, grip accessories, those sorts of things? Those are also things we can... Uh, we can get to them, it, you know, if there's a need. We only want to get them the things that they will find uh, most useful. Yeah, got it. Питання ви казали раніше про різні технології, котрі використовуються, і в тому числі там різні різні підставки для фотографічного обладнання. Чи є у вас яка, якась потреба в цих біподах, в цих підставках? Чи може якісь, якісь, якісь тактичне обладнання для гвинтівок чи, чи карабінів? Але ми б хотіли передавати насправді тільки те, що є потреба і тільки те, що ви скажете, що вам є потрібно. Так, по цьому напрямку є невеликі побажання в, в цих біподах і триподах, тому це теж більш детальніше по моделям, що використовуємо, я буду готовий надати на наступний ефір. Використовуємо в основному так, американські, американське обладнання, і біподи, і триподи. Ось, але є чим доснастити і якби зробити трохи краще. Yeah, the, there are some specific things uh, related to bipods and tripods uh, that we are we are using the American uh, produced uh, uh, models of that uh, uh, support and equipment. So yes, we can we can prepare for our next uh, next discussion the particular uh, things that we may need and this is this is the thing that can help us also to uh, to be more effective and that is something that would be very useful as well great uh we we know we're we're getting a little close to uh uh to their previous engagements there but i just want to thank them very very much for coming on and uh as axel said this is uh this will be a long-term relationship and uh, we want to get to them as much as we can uh, as soon as we can but please uh, thank thank everyone very much for for sharing their very precious time with us and uh, just just it's absolutely great to talk to them and we just want want them to know that there are a lot of people here and throughout the world that uh, that appreciate all the struggle uh, that they have that they have put themselves through and all the good they do for their country and, and for us as well. Перш за все, є величезна кількість людей, котрі дуже вдячні вам за вашу роботу. Є люди, котрі її дуже добре розуміють, і є люди, котрим є дуже цікаво принципи вашої, по вашої роботи. Оскільки ми вже підходимо до того часу, котрий ви казали, в котрому ви є обмежені на це спілкування, ми вас хочемо запевнити, що наша 
з вами спілкування може бути настільки довгим, наскільки в майбутньому наша співпраця може бути настільки довгою, наскільки вам це буде корисно. Будь-яка допомога, яку ми можемо вам надати, будь-які речі, котрі, обладнання, котрі ви потребуєте для хорошої, хорошого виконання своїх обов'язків, ви можете на нас перераховувати. Є величезна кількість людей, які захоплюються тим, що ви робите, від того, як це робите, і від рівня вашої фаховості, ми дуже вам вдячні за те, що ви а, змогли а, приділити сьогодні на час і так детально спілкувати ще раз. Дуже вдячні. Дуже дякуємо, дуже приємно. Будемо раді поділитися ще деякими моментами зі специфіки роботи наступного разу. Дуже вдячні за допомогу і за те, що приділяють цьому увагу і турбуються. Uh, we thank uh, you so much in return for, first of all, for taking care. We would, uh, of course, be glad to have our uh, next discussions and within the possible frames to share some interesting uh, for you things uh, related to what we do and how we do. Again, thank you so much for, for, for taking care. That's important for us. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. And please, please thank them and good night. And folks, stick around because uh, we'll now be deconstructing the operation. So thank you. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Uh, absolutely tremendous. Right. Absolutely tremendous. Thank you so much. Have a nice day. And and uh, Slava Ukraine. Heroin Slava. Bring death to thy enemies to clear the nation from the arcane occupation the orcs and uh Mordor have brought upon itself. There you go. Chuck, it is, as far as I read, as far as I've learned, as far as you've told me, one of the king's or queen's disciplines, one of the prime disciplines, taking an oil or gas rig, because it's, an, it's a naval target, it's infrastructure, it's right out there in the open, but at the same time, it is quite defensible, and then it's indefensible. Gosh almighty, how on earth did they do it, and how on earth did you do things like this? And what have we learned by them doing it successfully? Wow. It's, uh, I think uh, we, we've had some success previously in uh, discussing hypothetical operational situations and Axel, I, you can remember we did this after the uh, Peskov attack. Uh, just knowing how things are done doesn't necessarily mean that uh, we're going to know exactly how this was pulled off. But there are some fundamental skill sets here, folks, that are that are really impressive. Um, and and so how how might this have been done? Hitting an hitting an offshore oil platform, drilling rig, any sort of offshore platform is, in my mind, 
it, it is it is perhaps one of the pinnacle operations that a naval special warfare operator uh, can conduct. As a target goes, it is sort of the Mount Everest or the K2 of your targeting deck. And, you know, having been a mountaineer once upon a, a long time ago, uh, all the little fundamental skills that you have to have, individual skills as an operator, and then uh, larger skill sets within there. So, you know, using our moniker, shoot, move, and communicate. Okay, well, this is a, this is a maritime target, right? So the movement involves how are you going to get there? It, that, just that portion of the problem is going to involve combat swimming, which includes long-distance swimming, uh, and this is going to come in to this particular operation. We will get to a, an occasion uh, where one of the operators in this, in this set of operations we're talking about actually wound up spending 14 hours in the water. So I want you to just kind of keep that in the back of your mind here as we're discussing how this operation goes. How would you do if you were left in an open ocean for 14 hours? Now, I'm not going to let you get in there with your Speedo on. You're going to be in there with about 60 pounds of gear on. So keep that clock going in the background, 16 hours in the water by yourself with about 60 pounds of gear on. Okay. So just getting to the target, uh, let's, let's go to the sort of, uh, how do you get a longer distance? Well, as they were saying, Ukraine does not enjoy uh, sort of sensor <laughs> superiority over this part of the Black Sea. One of the problems is that this oil platform, these several platforms, uh, were seized by Russia unlawfully. They were unplugged. They were moved uh, to within 70 miles of uh, the Crimean coast where they were under the censor envelopes uh, that we've discussed that were last month's principal targets in Crimea. Remember, we, we took out S we, not me, folks. I didn't do anything here. I didn't get wet on this job at all. Ukrainian naval special warfare operators took out S-400 uh missile systems in Crimea, they took out a number of coastal surveillance radars, which provided cover, contributed to the radar coverage that surrounded these two oil platforms. And of course, they being at the, you know, 70 kilometers, 70 miles off the coast, they contributed their own radars that had been placed on these platforms. And we, as we heard them say, this pushed the Russian censor envelope out as far as Snake Island, which was retaken by the Ukrainians, as we all know, several months ago. But it was kept in an increasingly vulnerable position because the Russians, in occupying these two oil rigs, they could stage their own naval special warfare operations from these rigs. So... How do you get close enough to one of these targets? There are so many, and we talked about the skills and the skill subsets, but there are so many little battles that will get fought in an operation like this. Uh, you need a long-range platform to get you close to the target. 
Now, there are offshore patrol boats that are great and they're fast and they'll get you there and they can hold, uh, you know, an, a, a tactically significant number of operators, but they're big and they show up on radar. So that means you're going to have to get into some smaller raiding craft. F-470 Zodiac, very old school, not semi-rigid, a totally inflatable boat. It has an exceedingly low radar signature. Uh, part, of the, part of the thing that will get your radar signature down is you actually getting down in the boat. And they are inflatable, but they're actually made out of Kevlar. And they are, to some extent, bulletproof. Now, you don't want to hit one with a 50 caliber, but if you hit one with a 38, it's going to bounce right off. But if you're going over the horizon, if you're on a 100-mile insert in an inflatable boat, one of those skill sets that you need is your navigation must be impeccable. And we are talking about open boat navigation in the open sea. There are hundreds of things that can prevent you from getting where you think you're supposed to go. There are tides, there are currents, there is weather, there are local magnetic anomalies, there are, there are places where your GPS or your GLONASS isn't going to work. There are all of those things. So just keep rewinding backwards to the months it will take you of practice, rehearsals, insertion, long-range coastal navigation problems that you have, have, to, have to go through, open boat navigation, uh, long legs at sea, hitting, hitting reference points and waypoints and being able to do that. Okay, that's just to get the bus in the vicinity of the target. And of course, in this case, that target had its own radars turning. So behind the scenes here, there is some electronic warfare going on as well. And that will be uh, sometimes surface platforms, uh, sometimes subsurface platforms, uh, sometimes airborne platforms, which will uh, do their best to uh, the best systems. You don't merely jam the enemy's radar. You want to spoof it, right? So you want that guy watching his own radar screen. He doesn't see anything. There are means by which you can influence the, the reflected information coming from the targets that he paints. And uh, I won't go into some of it, but you can convince him that he's not seeing anything. Or what he is seeing is simply sea clutter. Or whatever he does see, uh, he can't plot a course off it because it pops up and goes down or even pops up somewhere where it isn't. So then, in certain operational situations, you would then get within. How much time, I don't Chuck? Know. Very briefly, how much time have have the people already spent in full concentration, muscle tension, and the likes on that one hundred mile trip? At how at do least they feel twelve. When they arrive there, you are you are beat up. You're kind of exhausted, but you've just gotten you've just gotten to the stadium. Right. So the, the, the football match is now on. So that could have taken you easily 12 hours to get there. And it isn't just a bus bus trip. You could very easily have been playing cat and mouse with a Russian surface combatant the whole way. 
you could have had your own radar warning telling you that you're being painted by a Russian uh, missile corvette. So you're not just being painted by the radar on the oil rigs, you're being painted by another Russian surface combatant. And in fact, it would be very unusual that uh, Russia wouldn't have picket boats around these oil platforms looking for exactly this, uh, you know, a couple teams of Ukrainian commandos to try to take these, these things back. So you're beat up, you're tired, you're cold, you're hungry, and then you get there and it all kind of goes away. Uh, and now you're just, you're burning adrenaline instead of glucose. So what would happen within a mile? It could be two miles. I've actually done it at three miles. You will put a couple of uh, swimmer scouts over the side. They will go on an oxygen rebreathing rig like a Draeger LAR-5, which is a scuba rig, but you don't breathe compressed air. You breathe compressed oxygen, and there is a CO2 scrubber in it. So that is a closed-circuit breathing rig. What that means is you don't, you don't make any bubbles. So then, uh, this is going to sound really uh, incredible, uh, you are going to go over the side with a compass board that tells you your depth and your time and a magnetic or GPS uh, compass bearing, depends on how you've set your rig up, and you are going to swim at a certain depth on a compass bearing for fill in the blank one, two, three miles, and you're going to get into the vicinity of the oil rig. And then, now they, this, is, this is all hypothetical, folks. These are, I'm describing uh, what is operationally plausible for SEALs to take down an oil rig. And everyone who has contributed to the training of these Ukrainian commandos we all do things in a certain way with, of course, deviations. We say situation dictates. But if I had been working with these guys for a year or six months or however I had long to train them, these are the skill sets that I would, they would have to prove to me that they had before I would graduate them. So underwater navigation, swimming for one mile, to hit that target. You surface in the vicinity of that target. I won't go into this, but you will then uh, start to climb that oil rig. This is another thing that, that all commandos train at, uh, technical rock climbing. Uh, so everything that that entails. We all climb big mountains, uh, and, in Yosemite, for example, El Capitan, El Moro, uh, mixed alpine climbing, uh, Mount Rainier, Mount Hood, you, you name it. You learn all those climbing techniques, and then you are, you are faced with this sort of post-industrial Matterhorn, and you have got to climb the rig. And the first number of swim pairs that reach the rig will do what is necessary to create a blind spot, right? They will take out any sentry that they come upon. This has to be done a la guns of Navarone. Some things never change, right? You can't go in there and start shooting. You have to make what we call a soft entry. 
then timed perfectly once the swimmer scouts have have made a lodgement on this rig the rest of the forces come in by by various means it's possible to do this with everybody swimming to the rig everybody all 30 or 40 guys 50 you could do it that way i want you to try to imagine 50 men swimming underwater in the ocean at night for two miles and they all land in the in the same 10 foot 10 cubic foot uh space of water that that's pretty amazing in itself and that's something that doesn't happen without a lot of training okay now we've affected this soft entry get up we get onto the production levels of these rigs and they are often three, four, five, six, even 10 stories, 10 different decks. And what you have to do is you've got to, you've got to, of course, the research is done and the target research. You have to know where the mechanical control centers are. You have to know in this case, because this rig has been taken over and turned into a military uh, facility You've got to know where their sensors are. You've got to know where their berthing spaces are. And once the shooting does start, you have got to absolutely dominate this target. These guys have lived here for months and you've got to fight there and you've got to figure way, your way through what is a labyrinth, but what for them is you know, where they live. And if they have been worth anything, they have set up their own defenses. And that, that is where, here's another thing. We talk about shoot, move, and communicate. We've only moved now, and now we're going to start to shoot. And there's a thing that, uh, I, that these Ukrainians have been trained, and it's called flow through target. So let's say you are in one SEAL platoon, 16 people. You have reached your assigned deck. And now you're going through compartment by compartment, clearing the space. You have a swim buddy and a shooting partner, right? These are, this is the guy that you are linked to. He is your soulmate. You don't come home without him or without his body. And as you flow through the target, you want to be able to shoot with that guy if you can. But as certain compartments resist and others are empty, as your 16-man unit and the boat crews and the swim pairs move through that target, you will find yourself shooting with other groups of people. And that in itself is an incredible skill because it is like fighting the, the fight at the OK Corral, but every 15 or 20 seconds, you change partners. You know, you may be with Doc Holliday one minute and with Virgil Earp the next and with it, it, why, who knows? It just keeps going. Training to do that and, and, and training to, to be able to adjust your, your own chain of command. And they spoke again, we're going to be pitching for the things they need hearing protection and communications gear, right? So, if I'm in there, I'm leading my element, we're going through, I get hurt, the command and the tactical authority delegates down to the next guy, my assistant. 
then down to the chief petty officer, then down to the leading petty officer. And all of this swirling action is taking place simultaneously on five decks of this oil rig. This is after a 12-hour insert, right, and maybe a three-mile swim. So you can see, and in fact, that's where the Iron Man sort of came from in Cor Coronado, that, that's California. That's an easy day at the yeah. office, Chuck. That's, an easy that's day what you trade for. It, it, well, you know, it used to be, of course, now I'm not the Iron Man. I just weigh that much. But uh, that's, there was a thing that the SEALs still do. It's called a monster mash. And that would be, just as I said, it would be a three-mile swim, 10-mile uh, run, and you jump into a pit at the rifle range and there's a disassembled AK-47 and you have to put it together and then shoot for score. So those are the things that eventually evolved into triathlons. And that's why the, you know, these guys are kept in, in peak physical condition, but there's another strain on your body folks. I mean, it's one thing to be in peacetime and, and do your PT every morning and train and learn and do everything it takes to be a commando. When you are forward deployed in combat, the, the analogy to, to high altitude mountaineering is really apt because you are up there and you're kind of burning your body up. Uh, you, you can never get enough to eat. You're, you're under so much stress all the time. It, it affects your metabolism, your thinking, uh, and it's tough living on adrenaline, Axel. It really is. Yeah, but adrenaline as always saves the day, doesn't it? It helps you focus. In the we, moment when it's needed. We I'm used told to by say someone we, who once exited a plane and found himself wanting for a proper functioning parachute. <laughs> I did. We used to say we ran on caffeine, nicotine, and kerosene, right? And it was kerosene, which is JP-5, of course, for aircraft and, and helicopters. And uh, But this operation that struck two platforms, and it had to be done simultaneously and then after the rigs were secured uh they these guys did not enjoy you know air superiority right but i did things like this i had an entire carrier battle group cir circling their airplanes overhead nobody was going to get to me but these guys discovered within minutes i would say of their successful uh boarding and seizure they came under attack by Su-30s, one of Russia's most advanced uh, strike fighters. They're adapted also to naval naval targets, uh, and these guys get hit. Uh, one of their operators, whose whose nom de guerre is Conan, during the air attack, uh, he fell off the rig, and you can imagine what might compel you to jump or fall off a 60 or 70 or 100 foot platform into the water where I, he I spent sent you the night image chuck i sent you the night image of that rig it looks romantic yeah. not so romantic if you fall off it right <laughs> it 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 is i, I was it, somehow this topic came up and i was speaking to my wife today about this and talking about first learning to climb oil rigs and mercifully I'd done climbing before I got into the Navy. 
But one of the first times I had to climb this 70, 80 foot uh, part of this rig, which went up higher after that, I got, I got up there breathless and trembling, you know, what we used to call sewing machine leg. And my instructor looked at me and said, great, now jump. <laughs> so it was one of those Butch Cassidy moments as you, as you tumble through the air. But anyway, uh, Conan here. <laughs> how does it feel when you hit the water? I mean, you go uh, with your feet, of course, but how does it feel? It's hard, it, isn't it? It, it? it is very hard. I'll, I'll tell you what happens, folks. You go down and it gets darker and darker and darker and colder and colder and colder. And you find that the water may have entered other places than your ears and nose and mouth. I will just leave it that way. But Conan now finds himself in the water. Uh, meanwhile, the fight for the rig is probably going on. All of this, all of this long story has a, has a point. He has now fallen in the water and he doesn't have a swim buddy anymore. Right. So his, his swim buddy, his shooting partner is going to know he's gone. And when a muster can happen, we know he's missing. What tells me that these Ukrainian operators are of the absolute highest quality is they knew that if Conan hit the water, that he would stay alive for as long as he could. He would be treading water. And he might be able to do that for days. And they kept looking for him. In a denied area, they kept searching for that lost operator. And they found him, which is a miracle. So Conan, I know you're probably not listening here, but I know this will bring you closer to the true God. <laughs> whether, you, whether you believe or not, after being in the water for 14 hours, and being discovered. I know you're, I know that was a life-changing moment. But again, folks, to me as an operator, that speaks of the professionalism of these guys. Uh, hitting two offshore platforms simultaneously, succeeding on both targets, and surviving an air attack. Also, and someone used the uh, a verb that was very interesting to me, looted. Right. So they were also able to purloin this equipment, radars and sensors, et cetera, that the Russians had put on these these uh, rigs. And then, of course, extracting that. Right. Getting that into boats and away. So it, this is just uh, I, th this is one of the most impressive of a string of impressive operations to me that they've pulled off, Axel. I just. Uh, right up there. Uh, you know, like I said, this puts them at the big table. They can look any naval commando in the world. They can look them in the eyes and they are in the big leagues. Actually, you are very, very uh, not hearable. <laughs> I can't hear Axel either. It's like, you can you hear me? Yeah, Axel. A little better, yeah. Sorry, okay. Can you, okay, let, let's try this. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six. Everything is okay. Good now. You're good with okay. me. I presume I just sneezed the hand. Well, whilst Chuck was talking, I was sneezing like, I mean, as if there's no tomorrow, I apologize. And I He was guffawing, just... folks. <laughs> guffawing. Yes. <laughs> I probably disabled the, disabled the uh, audio capacity of those bloody uh, AirPods. No. 
do you think that there were spotters at Saki? I, I, I absolutely do. I, I think that the, uh, yes, I, th I think that there is overhead imagery in all of these, uh, in all of these targets and that the information from remote means is always cross-checked with uh, Ukrainian on-the-ground human intelligence assets. I am, I am absolutely certain of it. There's another reason to be certain of it, folks. They keep succeeding. And left to its own entropy, you've got a plan for an operation. You carry it out. It's not going to work, right? There are so many key junctures. We just went through, you know, the, the boat navigation, the swimming, the convergence on target, the achieving a soft entry, all of those things. You know, the Arabs always say that luck is the residue of good design, right? These operations are so meticulously planned and the bar moves constantly, right? You know, you get to the target, uh, intelligence said there's 20 guys on there. It turns out there's 100, right? You always have to be prepared for that. They keep succeeding. Cross-river operations in the Dnipro, bingo. Cross the beach operation against high-value targets in Crimea, bingo. Long-range uh, precision strike munitions that just happen to fall in the revetment where one of the aircraft is, what do you know, completely fueled and bombed up. So it becomes a sympathetic target. These guys are incredible, Axel, and uh, they're not just lucky, they're good. The reason why I highlighted Saki is that, of course, this um, attack, this is, by the way, people, listen carefully, this is Four days past one year ago, September 7th last year. The Saki and Air Base attack was the first one which showed that Russia cannot defend Crimea. And what an absolutely stunning preparation, insertion, infiltration, coming around the island, going past Yevpatoria, where people have infiltrated since 1942. <clears throat> and GMAG, right next to an airbase, which, by the way, should have fantastic security. I mean, Chuck, please tell me, if that's not high class, what is? No, and here's... Here's, here's the delicious thing, folks, that's also happening right now behind the scenes. There is a Russian naval captain, which is the equivalent of the rank of colonel, probably even a rear admiral, and he's been recalled to Moscow for consultations. You know how that's going to go for him, right? He's going to go going going uh, for a Windows uh, operating system. I, I absolutely agree with you. Remember the Soviet vertical stroke? That's what's going to happen here now. Putin is going to reach to the highest person he can put his hand on who has anything to do with this command structure, up or down, and lightning is going to hit their organizational chart, branching into all its little permutations and sub and everyone is going to get stroked. 
the commander of the unit that was guarding these this detachment, he's going to get fired, just on and on and on. But this sends such an incredible message to the Russian Navy. You thought you controlled the Black Sea. You're up against the Ukrainians. They don't have a Navy, dude. But they are taking down your oil rigs. They are, they are conducting direct action missions against Crimea. You can't find them. You don't stop them on insert. You can't, you can't react to them when they're on target. They extract before you have any idea they were even there. And then you have no idea where to follow them. And I, I just think of General Budinov and his, his inscrutable smile. And no one really took him very seriously three weeks ago when he said, we're going to Crimea. And he was. And the other wonderful thing about this operation was, and this speaks to something about President Zelensky as well. When the United States took down uh, Osama bin Laden, our president, who will remain nameless, couldn't wait to get on television and take and take credit for the operation. Instead of not taking credit for it and letting letting Al Qaeda wonder and and convulse as they tried to figure out what happened to Osama bin Laden, Ukraine waited weeks before they announced this operation. They just waited. And in that period of silence, they were able to find out so much about Russia's own command and control. They were able to monitor all the sort of uh, recriminations and backstabbing and everything else, blame giving that went on here. And they learned so much about the adversary. And that to me post, says something about hit. everybody. Yeah, you got it. Right. Post hit, post drop is data mining. This is the phase which is most important after. Yes, you take out the target, but you actually generate so much more intelligence. This is where, um, yeah, I don't know. I should shut up. It, it, no, no, actually, you've, you've got it. That's the key in every single one of those operations, always. Uh, what the enemy does afterwards is important. And, and letting him stew in his own juices is so important. And even if this operation were not militarily significant, which, by the way, it is militarily significant, and, and continues to, to degrade Russia's situational awareness in the Black Sea, right, which is Crimea is their air, aircraft carrier. And Ukraine has nibbled away at Russia's, you know, uh, situational awareness around Crimea. That softens up a lot more beach landing sites, a lot more agent infiltrations and exfiltrations. It makes them all a little easier. And it sends this wonderful, delicious message to Putin and his thugs. And that is, there's no place to hide. You can't stop us. And the diversion, Axel, of Russian naval power, uh, they are going to be redoubling and quadrupling their picket boat operations, their, their security measures, and 
that decreases the offensive bandwidth of the Russian Navy in the Black Sea because now they've got to cover their butts 24-7. And that's great. And Ukraine moved, um, essentially. Uh, since June, Ukraine moved the electronic warfare coverage and therefore the, the sensor coverage of uh, Russian armed forces by about 80 miles. And that's astonishing if you think about it, given the fact that they've already denied the Russian fleet um, freedom of navigation. I mean, we always talk about this here, but the Russian fleet doesn't really have that much coverage at the moment. No, they don't. And, you know, the S-400 systems extremely capable, but they don't grow on trees. And the component parts that really made the systems work, the processors, et cetera, uh, antenna technology, just the materials themselves, Russia doesn't have access to anymore. So every time something like that is taken out, it is increasingly hard, harder for Russia to replace them. And we've heard the values thrown around with some of these surveillance systems. You know, $250 million goes up in a, in a poof. Uh, it, not to mention the captured technology that, uh, and, and the electronic warfare information that Ukraine is able to gather. And that, of course, helps them plan further operations. So, I mean, this, this, this was really just, just amazing. The reason why I highlighted Sark, I know we have hands up and we'll come to you, people. Please be patient because it's an important feature. We were talking about the special operations um, commitment, capability, the availability of tools to Ukraine uh, by means of the, um, how shall I put this, um, General Milley called it open pipes. I like that talking. Uh, it, it was very funny, actually, quite nice. Um, to create situational awareness. But in this instance, it's also that the Ukrainians take the whole picture. They have partisans on the ground, information from Crimea, for example, as well as the other occupied territories. They take that in, they synthesize the information with what is overhead coverage. They have then people they insert for recce missions. They have people who they insert for um, shall we say, longer-term missions where they blend in and wait. And then they have strike packages they design. If you look at it, I think the Ukrainians are showcasing exactly all the kind of components which one would wish to have to um, be at your fingertips if you're in, into special operations. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd be much more... Yeah, I think they should have about 450 sensible strike aircraft plus a bit of, you know, supplemental capability and bomb the shit out of the bastards but, uh, and uh, not just carpet bomb them into a submission but actually take out all those relevant targets, uh, take uh, long-range missiles and uh, kill every single Russian airbase within 100 miles of Ukrainian territory. But thank you. Right? Yeah. You know what's interesting, too, and again from General Budinov, a, a man who I truly admire. Uh, he said a, he said a, four weeks ago that he has two thousand commandos. 
remember how I was describing the, the, uh, the likely operational pattern of this uh, of this takedown. Now he has two thousand operators who are capable of conducting that mission. Two thousand people who can swim three miles on a underwater on a rebreather. Two thousand people who can climb the side of an oil rig at sea, take it over. Uh, have the cutting torches and everything at hand necessary to uh, liberate this Russian radar system, get it off the rig, uh, that is going to give the Russians pause. I'm not going to tell you how long, how large the SEAL teams are in the United States, folks, but uh, let's just say 2,000 operators trained to that standard would put Ukraine... Uh, on the big, in the big stadiums, uh, playing before the biggest crowds, because that, that is a, uh, a, a military asset of national importance. And Ukraine came into that problem, right? The people who presented themselves for training in the UK and at, at the other, other places, I named a few in uh, earlier tweets today, uh, the Danish Frogman Corps, uh, German comp swimmers, uh, Norwegian coastal Jaegers, uh, trained with all of these guys, all, all trained to, to that pinnacle of, of operational, uh, perfection. And Ukraine now joins, uh, you know, they're, they're up there with those guys. And in some cases, if you've got 2000 operators You've got more special warfare capability than some of the people who are training you. In fact, in many cases, you do. So General Budinov has this implement, right? He has this tool. He has this dagger. And he has shown us that he knows how to use it. And there's, there's just another thing that goes, goes on here. You don't want to lose these guys, right? You, you want to make sure... That, that when a target is selected, of course, that the operators who are going to be operating against that target, they you ensure that they have that skill set, that they are current in all of these little skill sets because they're all perishable. Uh, I would just also raise the, the marksmanship necessary, folks, to get into gunfights in closed enclosed spaces with metal walls okay you don't get to miss we used to shoot to a standard where we'd take a playing card we'd shot at paper targets sometimes at mannequins but you take a playing card and you paste it behind the target so it covered two eyes and your nose and you'd shoot in these dynamic situations high pressure Sometimes smoke, music, dark lights. We had all kinds of distractions. And if you dropped a shot off that playing card, it was a case of beer. So that's the standard to which they are trained in dynamic close quarters battle. And you don't get to miss in a steel room, right? The bullets go all over the place. You've got to put them where it counts. And just, I mean, I can't stop praising these guys because, and again, nobody 
in the first wave got to that target dry, right? They swam and then they climbed a hundred feet and then they got into a rolling gun battle. Uh, it's amazing. Just amazing. Axel. I'm, I'm just unbelievable. Yeah, I get it. Uh, I, I love the fact that they did this. I really, I, I think this is the pinnacle of sacrifice and dedication, the culmination of your training. This is what you actually train for. This is what you want to do if you join that force. This is what you need to do. This is, as I always say, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege, and an imperative. If you decide that you fight, this is what you want to fight. Yeah, you probably don't it, want to do the Conan thing and drop off into the water. No, I, I would hope. I would hope that he didn't hit it with his spine or something, because he uh, said he was unconscious, right, for some time. Yeah, uh, and and you would be, uh, you know, especially if he was uh, close to a weapon uh, that went off on the rig, and he might have been blown into there. So, and and there is another. So, folks, here here's this little kind of. Uh, I'm not going to give anything away here, but when Conan went over the railing and smashed into the water, he was wearing at least 60 pounds of gear. And I know this because that was what my own shooting rig used to weigh. My armor, my ammunition, my radio, my first aid kit. Uh, we used to carry a bag of uh, IV fluid, a couple other things. That just weighed 60 pounds. No, that wasn't mission-specific equipment, which was on top of that, right? We also had a uh, life jacket, inflatable life jacket. So he went over, and now he's in the water. And maybe his life jacket works now, or maybe it doesn't. So now he hits the water. He's upside down. He gets up to the top, and he gets a breath of air. But his gear is so organized, perfectly organized on his body, it's in what we call lines of gear. And the lines of gear from inside to outside, right? So the closest thing to his body was the first line of gear. That was his belt. It might have been uh, 16 ounces of water. It was his pistol. It was a strobe light. It was a signaling flare. And it was a knife. That's your first line of gear. Your second line of gear is your armor, your principal weapon, the ammunition for your principal weapon, and your communications gear. And on top of that is your mission-specific gear. So he might literally have been carrying a backpack full of sledgehammers. Okay, so the first thing he does is he he's struggling to the surface. He's going to peel off his third line of gear. And if it... Maybe his life jacket's working. Maybe it isn't. So then he has to go to his second line of gear. So he's going to throw away his rifle, let it drop, take off the three or 400 rounds of ammunition that he was probably carrying, maybe more. I've heard of people going in with 1,000 rounds of, oper of, of ammunition. So now he peels that off. So eventually he is there with his, uh, with his pistol and all of his clothing on which you can imagine how much that weighs, right? And now he's going to go into this survival mode and try to stay, stay alive as long as he can. And maybe you remember some of those pictures of SEAL training 
where they tie us up, they tie our feet together, and they tie our wrists behind our back, and they throw us in the pool. And we have to swim 500 yards tied up, and then you have to stay in the water tied up for two hours. And that's, so that's what kept Conan alive for 14 hours, is the fact that he did that. But you can see how all of those little skills, right? Conan went over the side and he had his gear just the way every other operator keeps their gear. Lines of gear that you can peel off from the outside to the inside and maintain an absolute minimum of operational capability, right? So if this all comes down to the very end, he's got, you know, he's got a pistol and a knife. And I know that sounds crazy, but you know what he's thinking with a call sign like Conan? He's thinking, I'm still in the fight. I am still yeah. in the fight. Exactly. He's he's got one weapon to shoot with and one one weapon to fight with and cut. Do you think that the Saki guys made it out alive? I you know, I, I think that the people who informed the Saki raid, I think that they were assets, right? I think that they are uh I think that they're they are still operating in that area, right? And we we talk a lot about it, how to promote a Ukrainian patriot into a partisan. And that is a very long process, right? You have to organize them into, into cellular organizations. You get a walk-in, right? You get someone who presents themselves, uh, you know, somehow gets in touch with the right people and says they want to volunteer, but they could be, and the term of art here is a dangle. Right, they could be uh, someone that the FSB has ordered to get in touch with the Ukrainian resistance. So it takes a long time to just to vet a person, and then it takes a long time to facilitate their training. Right, and they for for them for intelligence assets, intelligence gatherers, they're not going to do a lot of shooting, but how to move and communicate is just as important for them. And it has just that many subcomponent skills, right? Uh, we, we've gone into that, you know, cover for movement, cover for action, cover for status. You know, why are you in a position to look at this, where you could look at the airfield, right? You know, on and on and on. The excuses and the layered covers that, that you need and the backstopping of your documents, all, all of that. So within that organization, you only are going to promote vetted people. You're, you're going to develop their skill sets, but you're always going to keep them in a cell, ideally not bigger than three people. And the people who put eyes on the target, they are different from the people who debrief them and organize what they've seen into a IIR, an initial re intelligence report. And those people are not the ones that carry that encoded, hidden, covertly communicated document. Uh, the people who saw it are not the people who wrote it up. And the people who wrote it up are not the people who pass it on. And the people who pass it on are not the people who will receive the document. And they are not the people who will ingest the information and communicate it to higher headquarters. You can see 
every step there is a totally different cell that in a perfect situation you you have you've got this you've got this uh little micro sd card in your hand between your fingers and you walk up to somebody and you sort of barely touch them and you drop that into their coat pocket and that's called a brush pass and ideally you will you don't know that person's name that man or woman you have simply walked up to them at the meeting place where they this is corny folks but this is it where they had a copy of uh of Pravda in their right hand, which tells you that's the safety signal. Everything's okay. You can approach me. You walk by that little micro SD card gets flipped into a pocket or in their hand or somewhere else. And they walk away. You don't know their name. All you know is they had the bona fides and they showed the safety signal and you made the pass. You may never see that person again. And all of that, as complicated as it just sounded, it has to be. That information has to be promulgated, organized, the meeting set up, all of those things. And that's why it's it, it's more valuable for a partisan, for an asset. You know, they don't need to be looting and shooting. Them putting eyes on target, them becoming more and more experienced, because often, and in this case, it's a necessity that these Ukrainian intelligence assets, you don't want somebody who used to be in the military or someone who used to be in the intelligence services or someone who might have acquired this kind of training in a previous life because the Russians round those people up. So we're literally dealing with elementary school teachers and garage mechanics and uh, just people from all walks of life. And you can imagine all of these skills that you would need and want to know and that would they'd be necessary for you. And some of these people have been doing this since 2014. They've been operating in these non-permissive environments for, you know, since 2014. And they're the heroes too. They truly are. No news in, in, the, in, in, in this, yeah. Uh, no truth and pravda. There you go. Chuck, we have a who couple would, of hands Who would have up. known? <laughs> who would have known? Who would have guessed? Uh, only, Mr. Let, only Mr. Duranti. If only Mr. Uh, Duranti wouldn't owe us a few puyolitas. Jeez, uh, oh God, that clown. I am ready. I am ready. Let's <laughs> do right. some questions, Axel. Exactly. Ralph, then Bruce, then Ivan, you've all been exceptionally patient and thank you very much for taking the time for a more granular discussion as to what happened on those um, pieces of metal. Ralph. Uh, have a good day, everyone. Uh, uh, Axel, a uh, long time don't hear your voice. I always appreciate it. Uh, Likewise. Salam alaikum. Uh, yes, salam alaikum. Uh, today uh, is a memory of September 11, and I I remember that I have 10 years old now. I'm 32 two years old. Uh, he's a uh, one of the biggest uh, terrorist attack. I think that not only from you uh, against US against humanity, and uh, uh, we see that Ukraine 
every day is a living of 99-11 reality and uh, important help. Uh, I have a, a three couple of uh, question for uh, dear uh, respective expert. Uh, my first question is, uh, I think that's uh, very great news that uh, Ukraine, after a long time, has liberated uh, Boyka Tower. He's a, a, I mean, gas offshore. He's a very important uh, strategic place for Ukraine. Uh, he's uh, nearing to Zemenia, Iceland, between to Odessa and uh, Crimea. Do you think that uh, this uh, helping for Ukraine liberated Crimea very soon. And the uh, second question is, uh, what do you think that why uh, today Zelensky, uh, President Zelensky interview with Faris Zakaria in CNN said that, uh, I mean, uh, Western uh, weapon supply, it's so uh, slowly. And what do you think why? Uh, very slow. And the third uh, question is, is, is very important. Uh, recent, I think that report, uh, Iran International TV channel, he's a, a Persian speaking uh, pro-opposition uh, uh, media group in uh, streaming in the US. And uh, he's an interesting reporting that uh, Iran Revolutionary Guard uh, member of names of Mohammad Bagiri. He's a uh, he's a comp he's a head of the one company in the is a technological company. He's in in Canada. He and also he's a Bagiri. He's a sanctioned list by U.S. and Canada. And he's a Bagiri company. He's a Iran Revolutionary Guard from Canada. Is a provide. Uh, uh, drones equipment uh, from Canada for uh, Iran and Russia, and I, I, I have very astonishing. I, I mean, how uh, this guy person under sanction from U.S. and uh, in Canada is a comfortable life in Canada, and his company, he's a shareholder and uh, provide uh, uh, technological equipment. Uh, from Canada yeah. for Iran and uh, Iran and Russia against Ukraine. Uh, that's okay. my so question. The, Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much for that, Rob. Chuck, uh, can you address uh, two or three of them? Yeah. Well, one thing I would say is please, uh, please DM me, and uh, let's let's start uh, inflecting this guy's information space because. It is inconscionable that he should be enjoying peace and liberty in Canada while he is under sanction and while he is providing weapons of war to Russia and another great enemy of peace, uh, the, the mullahs and ayatollahs of Iran. So get, get that information to me and, and I'll put it up and let's see if we can get Let's see if we can get our governments to do something about this this guy because uh, you know that that's infuriating, and I think what what makes it even more a bitter pill to swallow is that uh, you know he he will send this stuff to Russia and he will send this stuff to Iran, but I I note he doesn't want to live there, 
and he doesn't want to bring his children up there or have them educated there. But uh, let's make his life as difficult as we can while, while he's here. And I will be very happy if he just goes away. But in the meantime, we can do something about it. So, so please get that information to me and, uh, uh, you know, I'll start writing some articles. Excellent point. And thank you very much for that. Bruce, you've also very patiently and kindly waited for us. No, it's been fantastic. And I didn't want to step on the really granular conversation or take uh, our Ukrainian guest time. Uh, and I'm also, quite frankly, not sure if this is a breach of security. <laughs> so, but uh, Chuck, I want to zoom out <laughs> to 100,000 feet, and I guess you can answer this or not. Um, you know, it, it, I look at it, it strikes me Russia got Snake Island, Ukraine took it back. Now they're taking these oil wells back. So there's kind of like a Black Sea campaign going on. But also, can you tell me in your mind, how does this fit in? with a couple weeks ago when they hit that uh, air defense site at Cape Tarhankut in West, at the very western tip of Ukraine. <laughs> like this, Good try. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, I butcher Ukrainian names daily, which is Me also too. why I didn't want to do it while they were, on the, while they were online. <laughs> but, you know, did, do you think, did they have to take that facility out first before they took this out? Are they completely unrelated? Do you see sort of a Black Sea strategy here? Uh, I know you touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'll just take any any reaction you have. And, and thanks, as always, for a great discussion, guys. Bruce, thanks for thanks for coming up. Always, always good to hear you on here. And Axel has been kind enough to let me on. I'm not I don't usually get to play with uh, the audience at this time. But you're you're right. What you suspect is absolutely true. Uh, taking out. Russian sensors as much as they could, uh, taking out those S-400 uh, batteries were, uh, again, all of those were uh, necessary preconditions to this, to this raid. Uh, something I didn't touch on, and uh, again, I'm not confirming or denying that Ukraine uh, may have used uh, rotary helicopter assets to address uh, tactical needs on board the uh, the offshore oil platforms, but that is a fundamental tool that we use as well. We talked about making the soft entry onto the platforms. Uh, one of the one of the first things you want to do is make it safe for helicopter-borne assault units to land on the on the rig, and of course, those are generally going to be fast roped on. Uh, and you talk about this, the, uh, subcomponent skills, right? So I need a helicopter pilot who can fly on night vision goggles in the dead of night, close to an oil rig that has every sort of antenna, gantry, crane, and protuberance sticking out all over the place, not collide with any of them and then get in a position where he can fast rope troops onto the deck. And it's not as easy as landing on the heli heliport, right? Because if I were a Russian in charge of an oil platform, I would have three or four machine guns trained 24 hours a day on the helicopter deck. So one more skill, because of all these gantries and cranes and everything, I'm going to have to fast rope possibly down a 100 and 
20 foot fast rope. So 12 story building. So it's not intro level fast roping. So again, you look at the, what were the necessary preconditions for this mission? And I would, you know, when I would be tasked with an operation like this, I'd also come back, uh, you know, in the early discussions and keep it on the discussion levels. I'd say, look, here are the preconditions I need to, to interdict this oil platform. I need, I need the enemy's sensor capability reduced to such an extent that I have a decent chance of inserting into the target area, right? Uh, infiltrating is what I should say. Then I'm going to need to make sure that we have influenced the electronic warfare environment. Uh, I know enough about the enemy that I can actually hope to get my soft entry team into the vicinity of the rig, climb it, and get them into a position where I can put the rest of my guys on there. We talked about the sort of split-second time and timing that high-speed boats would converge on this target. Uh, everything that you saw in the guns of Navarone had to go right in this operation, now times two. So it wasn't just uh, Gregory Peck and uh, Peter Niven. There was, uh, there's another whole operation going on with another Gregory Peck and another Peter Niven, and it had to go on at the same time, you know, literally to the second or within five seconds of each other. So that's incredible. But we also pointed out when those, when S300 batteries or S400 batteries are interdicted by the Ukrainians, I noticed they've changed their reporting just a little bit lately, and I wish they would go back to what they were doing because it makes my job harder. But they generally announce if they've hit an S300 or an S400 uh, platform. But those suppression of enemy air defense uh, raids and, and defeat of enemy air defense raids, they always proceed further Ukrainian tactical action. And the thing to underscore there is that Ukraine doesn't just take out one of these systems or radar platforms. They always follow it up. They, they never let uh, a moment of confusion that they've created on, on the Russian side of the equation, they never let that pass. They always conduct follow-on operations, and they do it in that narrowing but now expanding time window between the time they take out a sensor platform, uh, inflect the uh, air defense situation and posture and capability in the area, before the Russians can remedy those deficiencies, Ukraine strikes them. And you, you were, Bruce, you were, you were spot on to see how this is kind of developing, right? They blinded those sensors. They took out that S-400. They, they crossed the beach in Crimea, and now they're, now they're taking out the oil platforms. You, you nailed it. They did that raid on uh, August 24th, 25th, and I, I guess we're saying that this raid on the oil platform happened it's kind of nebulous right now, isn't it? Or do we have a date a couple of weeks ago? So it fits with what you're saying. Do we know how far off the shore these things are? And then I'll step down. 
No, no, no worries. They were uh, they were seventy nautical miles uh, west of the Crimea coast. I don't know exactly where, but I have the number of the oil lease, so I guess we can actually determine them. Uh, you know, another thing that's interesting is Russia grabbed these things and moved them closer to uh, to Crimea. So there's a fairly good chance, well, I don't know if Ukraine can do this, but eventually those things are going to be moved back uh, to Ukraine. So, but uh, if you didn't really need to know, um, yes, of course, the data is available. And there's a couple of sites which you can track you to. There's lots and lots of inflation since 2015 when uh, Russia first started to impact, interfere uh, and impair Ukrainian uh, extraction of uh, gas predominantly because there's, um, at this point in time, there's two gas condensate, uh, condensate uh, extraction fields six gas fields per se and one oil field all of which have been in some shape or form been attacked by the russians and uh, what ukraine has taken them back the um the current versions thereof is an exceptionally good statement and it's very very important that they've done so all righty ivan please yeah thank you and uh, good evening chuck it's a amazing story i'm so glad to be here uh, and uh, hi, Ivan. Hi. Glad, glad that glad glad it's not the middle of the night i'm glad you're on yes <laughs> uh just one comment uh I, the, the video i saw uh at least one of the rig was a jack up it's not easy to move you have to uh jack up the the legs first and uh, and uh, and then you have to tow it 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 cannot go by its own machine so you need a lot of equipment i will absolutely i don't yeah. i don't think they will move that before uh, <clears throat> they have completely control of the black sea you're you're right they they won't be able to do that the, yeah but, but the good thing but, is uh, Russia can't either. So no, that's good no. too. It's you can uh, regard it as a, <clears throat> a little island in the in the sea, and it will stay there. Uh, you mentioned uh, the Norwegian Jaeger, uh, and I, can I tell you a little bit story? Because I was on a, I worked on a oil platform for many many years a production you, platform you may oivan please please do i worked with the jaegers and the fsk quite a bit and i yeah and i would rather to... you tell them it uh, tell tell the people what you saw it will be amazing because we had a drill out there <laughs> or they had a drill out there uh, they, they, <laughs> the drill was uh, some terrorists had taken over the platform that was the drill, and then the Jäger should come and uh, and uh, free the hostages and take care of the terrorists. And I was in the control room, and uh, we, uh, yeah, we knew that the, the terrorists they, they they were already there and they had taken uh, some hostages and locked them in in a room. I can't remember how many terrorists there were there, but uh, maybe three or four. And then we, uh, it took a while, and then we heard a helicopter. And I can tell you, there, there, uh, first there are three or four floors from the helic deck down to the lobby. And the lobby is in the sixth floor, and the control room is in the first floor. So it's about 10 floors. And from, from, from you heard the helicopter, I think it was a, a Super Puma or 
but I can't. Uh, that could be an, another one. But from you heard the helicopter over there to the Jäger was in the control room. It, it, it was amazing. It was lo- not more than two or three minutes. It's, uh, and, and to work on the platform, you have to do a training course just to know uh, uh, where to go. Because there, is, uh, there are so many uh, <laughs> ways to go and not go, etc. And, and these guys, when you come out on the first time, you don't come on the platform, somebody will guide you around the platform for, for about an hour. So you know where to escape in, search, in case of an emergency, etc. But these guys, they had never been on the platform. They have got the drawings. So they must have memorized somehow where to go. And they, 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 they did it faster than we who used to work there uh, ever done. So these guys, they were just amazing. And, and you tell me that Ukraine have 2,000 of these? It's, it's, it's enormous asset. And yes, it, <laughs> absolutely. And, and, and you're, you're right. Uh, you have uh, to memorize the plans. And yeah, but please, please go on. And because I could say it, it, but you, you witnessed it. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was incredible how fast it, they did it, and and the coordination that between these two guys. Because the helicopter never landed. It's just uh, was. Uh, uh, <laughs> idling over the over the deck, so the, the, the helicopter was never down on the deck. These guys uh, jumped in the rope down from the helicopter, and the helicopter uh, flew flew uh, a few miles away. Uh, uh, so <laughs> now that was amazing. And you say they have two thousand, and then I play play in my head. With so what, what, you, what, what you're saying, Ivan, is that if you look at back at your experience and your the impact the uh, Norwegian Jaegers and special forces have had, uh, you are sufficiently impressed by the fact that there's close to 2,000 young men who have been trained in Britain to become um, maybe not as experienced as a long-standing operator of the SEAL teams or the teams or um, any of the other forces but at least prepared to take it on in a fear-to-fear conflict. That's very much appreciated. Thank you, Ivan, for that. Let's go to Hop. David, Hop? When we wait for yes. Hop, I just, just, just one, <laughs> one thing. I, 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 yes. Last night, I read the, uh, the, the attack on the, on the hosting map. And then I, now I heard this uh, thing about uh, these, uh, these uh, commandos. And then I think, what if the card have been switched around? What if there was Watniks in the hospital and there was the Ukrainian 2000 <laughs> special force who was going to take the airport and the city? I think they would have succeeded. What do you think, uh, Chuck? Yes, I think I think they would have succeeded. And everything is is in the everything is in the planning and the, and the preparation. But but you, you know I'm glad you brought that up, Oivan, because you know I, I held myself back as I was describing this sort of how long it actually takes to to seize things. But 
we we are talking often uh, to take a a merchant ship. I'm talking about, you know. Well, let me let me back up. I wrote a book uh, called Seal Target Geronimo, and it was about the raid that took down Osama bin Laden. And when I was doing the press for it, uh, I get correspondence saying, "Well, how long did it take?" And I said, "90 seconds." I said, "Well, it's a four-story house." Well, you know what? I added a little extra time for that. I would expect that the whole target was neutralized in less than 60 seconds. And, you know, I I know, and, and those guys did not fast rope out of that helicopter, hit the, hit the hatch, and show up in your control room in whatever it was, 70 or 80 seconds. It didn't happen by accident. And you're right. You know, people, people come aboard those rigs. They have to be led from place to place. It's an absolute labyrinth. You know, the corridors all look the same, et cetera. And it shows the sort of uh, mental acuity of these guys. You know, uh, it, it, it's amazing. And I'm glad you pointed that out because to have 2,000 operators, you, it makes you a world player with this stuff. And these guys came in and received this training, and they had all been in combat for years before they received this training. And that wasn't the only thing that sort of ennobled them and made them commandos. They had survived in the battle space without that training, and they had operated and lived by their wits and uh, then, you know, they got these tools, these skill sets handed to them. And it is amazing. And I'm glad you were able to, because you know what, even the other thing is not many civilians have actually witnessed, uh, you know, what it takes to take back an oil rig. And you saw it with your own eyes. That makes you one of the few, really. All righty. So let's try. Uh, Hop, did you have something to ask or not at all? I, I did have a question for uh, Chuck. Um, how you doing? Good, brother. Hop. Good to get my 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 Navy brother from another mother. How are you, bud? I'm doing well, thanks. Um, question: How long would you, in a perfect world, think they were shaping the the EW space over this platform? I mean, are we talking? And 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 probably it was in conjunction with uh, the S four hundred, but were they doing that for? weeks uh you know just to establish a habit pattern lower the the alertness of the um of, of the of the crew on the um on the platform by by consistently jamming over an extended period of time you know sporadically just to make it seem like it was just another day on the platform how long in a perfect world uh western style would you ha- would you like to have them do that or, or would that be necessary to change the habit patterns of the um of the people on board and, the, and their alertness level and things like that. Just, just curious, what would be the, the optimum on that? Thanks. Hop, I like the way you think. And for me, it's weeks. Um, you know, a lot of times in, in a, in a counterterrorism situation, uh, you have to react right away. Right. And so, for example, in the case of the Achille Lauro, we didn't, you know, you had to go, 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 you got to go. Other other platforms I've hit, uh, it, you know, if you, it, you've got, uh, you've got the bad guys driving the bus, right. And they don't really know what they're doing. So 
But in a case like this, uh, you have got a competent enemy. Uh, I actually did not conduct this particular operation, but uh, my swim buddy at Bud's did and uh, was one of the guys that took uh, Iranian oil platforms down during the, during the Gulf War. And uh, they had augmented sensors as well. Um, you know, they were manned by uh, Iraqi uh, oil platforms. I didn't speak out of school. I don't know where I came up with that other operation. Uh, but, but anyway, uh, you, you've, Hop, you've got it. You, you want to, if, if at all possible, you, you certainly want to know that the enemy's habits and you want to, in a perfect world, you want to make sure that you are shaping the enemy's habits as well. So you're, you're spot on. I would definitely want to know everything about, uh, their, uh, electronic postures. Right. And, and you are quite right. You can, and as you know, in a sophisticated operation, you can gradually degrade the enemy's, uh, sensor capabilities and just make them think this is the way, you know, you create a new normal for them. And what is always going on folks, I mean, it, the, the guys with the 18 inch necks come in and, and, and take down the rig, but there are weeks of patient hard work by people who are a lot smarter than I am. Hop, uh, guys like guys like hop folks, I'm going to give him his, his lap because that's, that's what it takes. And especially in a lot of these, uh, uh, over the horizon, uh, uh, platform operations, it is, it is VP, right? It is, it is Navy long range, uh, maritime patrol aircraft that are really key, uh, not only to, to filling us in on, on the intelligence, but when the operation itself goes down, those are the kind of aircraft that help us in our own command and control situations when we're, when we're on target, because we could be hundreds of miles uh, from the coast. And in the situation of the seals, we drop, uh, I want you to think of the, the coolest Miami vice boat you've ever seen. And we drop those out of the back of C-17s on parachutes and we parachute into the water and we do this over the horizon from the target. And we all land our parachutes close to the boat. We get in and we tear off, uh, towards the target. So, we need overhead communication linkages, and it's Hop that did it. I was just about to phase in the night music of uh, Miami Vice's Michael Mann and uh, Ricardo Tubbs. And, uh, oh, I love that music. Yeah, when they turn in the boat. But okay, we're not going to do that now. Um, Hop, you have a follow-up, or should we go to Wardogo? Uh Just a, a quick... Um further uh, comment, I, I would be very curious as to what the uh, deployment along the, uh, along say the, the shores where we've already seen, uh, you know, P8 orbits and, and various other uh, U.S. electronic assets. It, it'd be interesting to see, you know, what the status was, uh, you know, because this is very timely information, we'd never be able to relate the two, but, you know, we have, on this space, people who really track that stuff closely. And it'd be interesting to see if that has changed post S 400 uh, destruction, since we kind of have a date timestamp on that one. I'd just be interested to see how coordinated that side of things, you know, or to be able to hypothesize. Uh, 
Yeah, uh, me too. That. I mean, we yeah, somebody that, on this space probably probably has it. <laughs> Not me. They they do, and because you know those S four hundred systems, I mean, they are an existential threat to uh, everything flying over the over the Black Sea. Yeah, yeah. that and the that is the great thing, Hop, about you know the the Maria Report community that we've we've got the guys that you know that follow that. So that's that's pretty cool. I'd love to hear that too. Okay, thanks. I'll listen. I was just laughing my head off because I had the voice of Izzy in the background. I apologize. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah, good evening uh, or good afternoon, closer to evening, depending where people are. Uh, no particular question, but just a little bit of follow-up of what we've been discussing today and the extreme capabilities uh, and affairs that we've, we've, we've seen today for for the teams that uh, managed a very good operation earlier in August. Uh, my point to that, and we've been hearing uh, some of uh, some of the guys, similar guys who are working in a special force together uh, with Mr. Chuck today earlier, uh, Alexander, the country have already invested in the extreme capability of those specialists, of those, of those, of those people, of those, uh, of those guys who who have those skills and capabilities, uh, and in order to give them a help in those items that we've been discussing before and we have and we have found one some additional opportunity how as uh, as, as, as 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 mr chuck said uh earlier for long term for long term relationship in order to do so and in order to complete the fundraiser that your report have started for those guys, your listeners could 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 come to help and participate in that fundraiser. That's the only short, uh, straightforward reminder that I was I was I was going to make. So if those guys are asking there, if they're saying that this is something what we need, you heard them. They don't feel comfortable of asking. We had to ask them two, three times, do you need something? And that's how we get to what they need. In fact, they're not comfortable in asking, but the country have already invested into them. It means helping them to be more effective and uh, protect their health better with the hearing protection, be more effective with these communication devices, uh, the push to talk uh, buttons that connect their hearing protection and convert it from just being a headphones to a communication device when it linked to their encrypted radios. That's something that we can easily do together. And let's let's go for more. The only thing is limiting us, the generosity of uh, you people who listen to us in the space. So consider donating if you if you've been thinking about it. The only thing you need to do is just report.org or you can list the scroll one of the one of the items here in the nest and you can enter 
Mirror Report profile you can see. You can enter my profile. There is a pinned message about this fundraiser. Let's make it happen. Those guys really, those are special. I don't know if it is already not the, how to call it, dusty joke about special people doing special things. This day, today, we understood how special it can be. Thank you so much, uh, Chuck, for for really making this deep dive uh, in how it can be, how it feels, and how 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 difficult that is, first of all, and how responsible and skillful and top quality should be the professionals who conduct such kind of things. Thanks. That's really fascinating. Atma from Ukraine. Uh, absolutely, and and folks, I'm gonna I'm gonna be going off here in a little bit, but but I I, I do want to say this. We we've heard we've heard some real warriors came on here, and in all modesty, and they put their pride aside. They said those wonderful words, uh, you know. We don't want to bother you. Look, they were afraid to ask for the things that they so uh, that they need to do their jobs, right? And everyone on the report is so generous with all of their time, and I know that many of you are very generous as well with your with your donations. But we 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 spoke uh, tonight to uh, an alpha uh, operator. Right, so a direct analog to a SEAL Team Six guy. Uh, we spoke uh, to uh, uh, FPV drone operator, and he said that he can go through as many as ten drones a day. Right. Uh, these are these are the interdiction missions that he's flying. These are the vital tactical reconnaissance missions that he flies every day. That uh, you know, these he's flying these things into harm's way. They get lost. Uh, he flies them into into bad guy vehicles and command centers and trenches and air defense systems, etc. And it's what they need. Those things are about fifteen hundred bucks a piece. So they're not cheap. Uh, please be as generous as you can, because we're. We're all making a commitment now to that outfit, and we're gonna we're gonna deliver on it. And the other thing that we spoke about, uh, thermal rifle scopes, they run about two grand a piece. Uh, they are really effective, uh, but a lot of them, as well made as they are, uh, they're not really. Most of them are not really truly ruggedized to military standards. So what that means is they kind of have a shelf life in combat as well, right? You might get 10 operations out of one because although you do try to take care of your equipment, absolutely, you certainly do. But if you're a Naval Special Warfare operator, look, they get wet, they get bumped, they get they get lumped and, and clipped and, and you hit the deck... 20 times a day with that thing. And those things, folks, too, like they're about two grand a pop as well. So whatever we can do to, to pass the hat and get some of these things in, into their hands, 
and and make them feel comfortable enough that they can tell us some of the other things they they need as well, right? Uh, you know, they they uh, you know they they were saying, look, we've got infrared lasers, right? But I can tell you this: they don't have enough of them, right? I can I can tell what he said. You know, the commander will have one for target designation, et cetera. Every shooter should have one of those. But those things too, folks, IR laser, I don't know, it's a couple hundred bucks. So whatever you can do, whatever you can do, make somebody's day today in Ukraine. And uh, put put the tools that these operators need in their hands. I promise you they're going to put them to good, good use. And to just make the war a little more real, you know, these guys had to get off because they're going to the brief tonight because they're going out tonight and they go out pretty much every night. And when you're in that kind of community, uh, day is night and night is day. You know, you don't operate when the sun's up, you operate all night long. So anything you can do to help folks, uh, let's do it. Let, let's give it to them. Uh, we can't get, we can't get our governments to send enough Patriot uh, batteries, but maybe we can help. <laughs> maybe we can help on the drone end, Axel. One hundred percent. I mean, that's the key thing. Ten to fifteen drones a day, depending on what they are—FPV drones of the kind they are using—anywhere between about uh, eight hundred to nine hundred dollars on the low end to about sixteen hundred on the higher end. But that's what they need. They go through ten to 15 a day, let's say the average were just a thousand bucks. That's the cost of doing business. That's the cost of freedom. That's the cost of Ukrainians defending our front line. So let's help them a little. All right? Drive line. Yeah, two questions. Quick one first is, um, after this raid on the, on the platforms, um, What's going to happen long term? Are they going to be able to hold them? I know Chuck, you've already said that the, the special forces go in there, take the place, and then they're replaced. Um, have they? Did they have to um, exfiltrate out of it and just leave them empty, or do they? Are they going to try to hold them long term? What's the status? <clears throat> and then the other question here for you, Axel, is what's the um, possibility of some of these drones being made in Ukraine and actually starting to fund the manufacturing process? And I'll listen. <laughs> I'll fry the tactical question first. Uh, you know, the, these guys came aboard and they came aboard with air defense capability because they were able to hit uh, an Su-30 that that tried to attack the drones. And what what's what's important about that is look that as Su-30 is is a very capable aircraft, one of the one of the best that Russia has. But we've also seen before. Uh, we saw some Su-30s uh, engaging uh, the partisans up up there, and uh, God help me, Axel, was it not Berdyansk uh, uh, cross-border operation? But the, the Su, yeah, the what, where was? Yeah, uh, no Su-30. The it was used in order to try to attack the 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 rig. Yeah, they, it was a, my, my information says it was an Su-30, but we, we've previously seen Su-30s coming in, dropping drogue-retarded munitions, which tells me that you've got 
the Russians are facing a problem with their standoff weapons because you're sending this multi uh, tens of millions dollar aircraft and you're dropping 1964 ordnance on the on the platforms. So that this ties in with right now. The only card that Russia, I think, can play against the oil rigs is trying to blow them up. I don't think that Russia has the ability to launch uh, an attack to take back these rigs. That's going to cost them big time. Uh, you know, Russia would have to expose surface combatants to get within helicopter range of this of these platforms. Russia had naval special warfare operators when they started this invasion, but they have killed them all off using them as shock troops, right? They've taken their naval commandos and thrust them into places like Vuladar uh, and Bakhmut, where they got ground up, where you spent four or five years, maybe even 10 years, training a naval special warfare operator and then you grind them up as cannon fodder and you face that training death loop right by by wiping out your own operators you've destroyed their corporate knowledge you've wasted every dime you put into their training and you've lost their capability they had a specialist capability to take back oil rigs and now you don't have any guys that can do it but what the other thing that Russia faces here in the Black Sea is they no longer have the, the, the sensor picture that they used to have over the vicinity of those, of those oil rigs. And if Russia is going to dare to, here's one of the things Russia isn't going to do. It's not going to load a thousand <laughs> Marines on a Rapuchka class LST and sail it close to those oil rigs and take them out by brute force. That was an option before February, but after the Moskva sank, it's not an option. So I think the thing to look for in, in the oil rigs is we're going to see them attacked and possibly attacked until they're destroyed. But right now, I think Ukraine can, can hold on to them. And given that they punched a hole in an Su-30 uh, when this happened, Russia's got to be pretty circumspect about uh, about trying to attack them. They can tease them out. Yeah, absolutely. They 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 really can. Axel, what do you think about? And I am going to have to roll here, but what do you think about uh, indigenous production of these drones within Ukraine? Difficult, very difficult. It's a matter of. Uh, components to be assembled as much as uh, um, systems to be brought in and uh, specifically the systems which communicate with the drone and give it guidance. Um, there's a couple of things which are relevant to the remote control of drones um, which cannot be worked out in Ukraine. It's just what it is. It's a matter of technological advancement. It'll become available, sure, absolutely, but it's just not there yet. And then the mass production is a matter of both uh, creating uh, the capability undeterred, unimpaired, without threat uh, to produce them on site. Because uh, that is a capital-intense process, and you need to actually... It's 
whilst you can do group manufacturing, so if you think about how you deal with things which are predominantly not fully uh, automated, so this is not a German factory or a Japanese factory where everything's completely automated, uh, but um, with drones um, and components of drones, most of this is artisanal at this point in time still. Chinese have a couple of highly automated factories, but they're not very good. Uh, which is why the, the Chinese drones are so shit. Um, but if you take really high-grade, high-profile, exception-capable, Western-made drones, um, then it's not the hardware components which are so interesting. Yes, you can see them, and the Ukrainians are highlighting what they're doing during the war, and that's great. But the components which are difficult, the components which are valuable, the components which they need, are produced in the West. The components which they would need, for example, battery systems. I find it despicable, and I have to say this out loud here yet again, dear Olaf Scholz, get your, please consider acting like a German chancellor for once. You know, like, like someone, like, you know, think about Bismarck. I know you don't like him because he actually was successful. Uh, he was a real man and he, he, you know, played his game properly. He was an intellectual at the same time, the leader. And he was, of course, a monarchist and you wouldn't want to be associated with this. But just think about the fact that Bismarck was a politician first and foremost. Or think about Konrad Adenauer, by the way, someone who has been oppressed by the Nazis and a very successful politician. I know you don't like him because conservative and Centrum's party and, you know, from Cologne and you couldn't like him and Catholic and all that kind of jazz. And he was successful in not succumbing to the communists like Kurt Schumacher and his social democrats were, who you followed in your stance by traveling nine times into the Soviet occupied zone. But just think about it, Olaf Scholz. One word from the German chancellery to Warta of Germany. One word, meaning help, or whatever you want to call it, Hilfe, would work. Vata is still today, and everybody acknowledges this, the world's leading designer and developer of high-grade batteries. There's one thing the Ukrainians need is batteries. What is Vata good at too? Producing this kind of shit in Germany, highly automated, highly customized, very specified, and it may be in great numbers. So why on earth, Olaf, please, you, descendant of people who were once decent in Osnabrück, why on earth are you not calling out the main battery manufacturer of Europe? to produce a massive amount of numbers what the Ukrainians need, because that's the key element. Why don't you talk to your British colleagues who know who produces the right kind of communication systems these drones need? Why don't you? Oh, you don't want to? You fear? It's too much to do? It does impede your complacency? It doesn't fit your election schedule? You're a bloody chancellor. There's a war ongoing. It's your friggin' job. The world doesn't follow your ideological concerns and your plans for your life. The world is there as it is. So please, talk to Vata, 
talk to your British friends, talk to the Swedes who have developed a couple of very nicely nano-coated elements, which they use currently in their planes and in their designs, with weapon systems and the little wingies they need for their little missiles, you know, these little thingies which hit other people. Think about that. You could integrate Swedes, Brits, oh God forbid, if need be, when it comes to grenades, you could even integrate the French. I'm not going to tell you. Careful, don't integrate the French. But at least you could buy from them. Or you could talk to the Belgian people, you know, the people who normally associate with different means, and ask them to provide the ammunition. So in short, Chuck, it's all doable. We have all the kit. It It is doable, folks, and Axel, that was epic, and I was I was grinning like a monkey to hear you turned loose, folks. There isn't a lot we can do, but there is something we can do with our elected politicians, and to get them more. Look, all they want to do is get reelected, and we can all politely and firmly tell them what they can do to win our votes, which is to get off the dime and to help provide Ukraine, who they are supplying the blood and the guts, literally. It's their fight. They're not asking for Western military intervention. They're just asking for the stuff they need to fight for their own homes and families. Let's give it to them. And one thing we can do, folks, you know, if you can do it, let's let's get them a drone. But you don't have to buy a drone. Look, you got a couple of bucks. It helps. It helps. And it helps you too. If you're an American or you are subject to American taxing, look, it's a 501c3. You can write it off. So just do it. You know, just click that and uh, and see what you can do. And uh, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep on this. We're gonna keep getting these guys. Drones, batteries, uh, thermal sites. Uh, there's some modest things they need as well. Remember, they're going to stay in touch with that, with us. Some of those things are mounting uh, equipment for, for uh, arms. All is non-lethal: bipods, tripods, uh, things like that. So, if you can, please, please help out, Axel. I am. Uh, I'm going to be jumping out of the airplane right now, but my brother, I know we're in capable hands. War Doggo, thank you for the stellar service and translation, which made that all possible. And uh, everybody, I will see you uh, Tuesday night, if not uh, before that, uh, for bullet points. Axel, thanks, brother. Always good. Always good to be on you. Thanks, man. Thank you very much for taking the time, Chuck. It is an absolute pleasure and a real privilege. And I think the whole audience feels the same way. So much appreciated. Lucky as we are, it also, this evening has come to an end. You wouldn't believe it is slightly past midnight here in the vicinity, in the proximity of Mordor, just about 172 kilometers west of Mordor as we are. And so at time, same time zone as our beloved friends in Finland and of course, also in Ukraine. So it is 21 minutes past midnight, and by that I shall be handing over to my friend and colleague Robin and uh, say good night to you all. Good night, 
and good luck. So long, farewell. I'll be the Zanax. So have a nice night, buddy. Uh, have a good rest. Uh, yeah, well, I go. That was a very good segment. Enjoyed that a lot.